Broadcasting live from Global Headquarters at RP Enterprises in Greenwood, Missouri. Stand by on this frequency. After 22 years of entertaining FM radio listeners across the U.S., across the U.S., this man is the owner and executive producer of the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl on Sportsman's Channel, CEO and founder of Dumar Chemical Solutions, and the man behind the mic of Papa Ron Radio Voiceovers and Production. He's the man, the myth, the legend, a global icon, future Nobel Prize winner, and of course he paid me to say all this. Really? Literally. Welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's your host, Ronnie Phillips. Ronnie Phillips. Welcome to episode 31. We're excited to be back bringing you another episode of the Papa Ron podcast. And before we introduce this podcast or the guest of today's podcast, let's say hello to Brown Piercy Cattle Company. And thanks to them for being a proud sponsor of the Papa Ron podcast. For years, they've been breeding registered Angus cattle for generations with one thought in mind, quality beef for customers. And their goal is to deliver prime grade of beef directly to customers' homes more affordably than you can purchase them at the store. Better beef conveniently delivered at a lower price than the grocery store. And you can find them at li- online at brownpiercycattle.com. Uh, and there's also going to be a special gift pack for all of our guests who come on to the Papa Ron podcast. And so our guests will be getting some free beef. Okay. How about that? Okay. All that being said, I'd like to welcome to episode 31. His name is John the Iron Man Cantrell. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to that really long, that thing long intro. Oh, I yeah. was like, I wonder if John's going. Okay, this is a little much. Yeah, this guy like. is really self-absorbed. <laughs> no, I've I've watched some of your episodes. Have Parker. you? It's uh, it goes hard. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. It goes super hard. Well, we're going to change that intro. In fact, the uh, the voiceover has just been done. Jillian is now she's put in her time and she's worthy of having Free her name. Myself. She's got her. Yeah, she's worthy of putting gotten having her name in the imaging of the of the podcast. So uh, it's in production stages right now and so hopefully we'll have the new imaging done relatively soon so before we get started why with why john cantrell is here i want to tell the story on how this whole thing kind of came to fruition um my but a mutual friend of ours Corey rupp uh who's been a friend of mine for gosh i don't know going back to when i was maybe 20 21 years old and uh we were buddies at k-state and um we've just been brothers through the years. And uh, he had called me while I was gone on a Heartland waterfowl trip and said, Hey, I've come across these tickets or I've got these tickets to this big boxing match. It's going to be happening at the, I keep wanting to call it the expo center, but it's actually the Stormont Vale center event center. Event center. Okay. And um, he's like, yeah, it's going to be on showtime and it's going to be cool. And one of my buddies is going to be boxing in it. And he's like the Kansas heavyweight champion. And he's going to be fighting the Missouri heavyweight champion. I'm like, this is really cool. And, wow. and they're floor seats, you know, so we're going to be sitting up right next to the ring. I'm like, never really been to one of these things right. before, but I'm a sports geek. I'm down. Let's go. Um, so then I show up and I'm sitting there and we're watching the, the fights before yours. And he's telling me about this guy, John, who he, I guess you guys train in the same gym. Right? And he's kind of telling me your story. And I'm like, this is fascinating. This guy's really got an interesting story. And he's like, yeah, you should have him on the podcast. 
You're like, like, ah, perfect. This is perfect. This okay. Producer Corey over here, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, like five minutes later, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going back to the back to get a cocktail, and I run into a friend of mine from my hometown. Okay. Which uh, her name is Tiffany Wushlager, Wushlager uh, McManus, and. She, yeah, she's telling me, so then I run into her husband, Matt, and we start talking and they're telling me about their friend, Rachel, who invited them to the match. She's got an incredible story. She knows John and their best friends, really, like really, really close friends, right? Rachel. Yeah. And then they say, you should have her on your podcast. And I'm like, this trip is a write-off. Nailed it. I can write off every day. Drinks for everybody. (laughs) Anyway, so that's the long, quick Cliff Notes version of uh, how we got here today. But uh, why don't you go ahead and hold up the belts? Because you are uh, the, you were the Kansas champion, heavyweight champion. And then after the fight that I got to see you uh, in, you you got the, the Missouri heavyweight championship. How about that? Pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. So, I don't, you know, there's so much to your story. I don't know where to start. In boxing is obviously a big part of what you're doing now, and you're, you're training for another fight that's coming up. Did you say you're going to start training in April, or the fight's in April? Possibly fight in April. Okay. All right. And is that another contender situation, or not, or another um, opportunity to win another belt, or is it? No idea yet. Oh, you don't even know who you're fighting. Okay. How does that work? So, the promoter will decide that they're going to put on a show, and they'll have several fighters in mind. Okay. And they'll see who they can reach out to that are going to be, you know, what, what are going to be good matches, who they want on their show to sell, you know, who's going to sell tickets, hmm. stuff like that. And then they'll reach out and start lining up a card. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to get into the boxing stuff here in a little bit, but let's, um, let's start from the very beginning because, uh, again, I, I think your, your story is so fascinating. Um, let's go back to, uh, I guess, your childhood. You're a high school athlete. Right. And uh, really good in football. Um, talk about the foundation of, uh, you, you know, how you were raised, because right. that's kind of how you led into explaining it to me when we first talked on the phone. And we'll go from there. So I, I had transferred from Linden to Burlington because they had really good sports programs. And my dad worked at Wolf Creek Nuclear Operating Corporation. He was one of the big finance guys out there. Okay. And I had changed my my circle. So at the school that I'd gone to previously, like I, I just didn't, I didn't fit in well. Right. I, I did poorly in school. You know, I, I, I feel like I wasn't being, I feel like I wasn't being taught the right way or like, I can't say that cause it, it may have been, and I just wasn't paying attention or, or anything else, but it wasn't connecting with me. Right. You really want to connect with your teachers. And when you can create that connection, that's where learning mm-hmm. happens. Right. Okay. And development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I'd moved to this new town, um, I, I had some really, really good teachers to start off with. And the, the school population, it was, it was cool. You were in the in crowd if you did well, mm-hmm. right? If you got good grades mm-hmm. okay. and if you did your homework and if you excelled in the programs and if you were part of all the school stuff. So that's kind of what I did, you know, where I, as I'd been kind of a outcast before and my, my mental health wasn't great. And I was, you know, I was not diagnosed. I I wasn't diagnosed well with attention deficit disorder. So, and I, I hadn't had the medications figured out right. You know, that balance wasn't there. So when I, when I got to the new school with the new teachers that had a different way of teaching and I just kind of fell into it. Right. You know, the fresh start had helped. 
um, and I got into that crowd of, of sports and being involved in school and, and being outspoken and doing well. How old were you when you transferred? So for my freshman year of high school, okay. I transferred right after middle school. Okay. There were some fantastic ball pe- Burlington, Kansas comes up with some really good ball players. Tyrell Reed, 2008 mm-hmm. National Championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian Brown, last year's National Championship. Sure. I mean, we're, we, we put out good basketball <clears throat> players. We keep talking about KU players. I'm sure there's a few Burlington people <laughs> who may have played football at K-State, maybe. Uh, but, uh, oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. Anyway, proceed. So uh, I started, my alcoholism started in high school. Um. Okay, hold up a second. You were just talking about this great good circle that you were just in. So to be in that circle, you had to drink? Is no, that what you're saying? Okay. Absolutely so, not. So how did you get off? How did that happen then? So that was a lot closer to home. So I, we, I grew up on Pomona Lake. My family moved from Wichita in the 90s uh, when I was a little kid. And we had like a little lake community out there, right? Mm-hmm. Well, all my neighbors and all my friends drank. Okay. Boat That's, drinks. I, Right. I mean, when you grow up in that atmosphere and everybody, everybody moves to the lake because they want to drink beer and hang out on the lake. Yeah, sure. So I kind of came by it naturally and drinking helped me fit into situations where I felt uncomfortable. Right. So it was, it was a social grease for me. Right. Yep. And that's kind of when the drinking started and I started at a young age, you know, and then I really started getting good at it in high school, but sports was still my thing. And then I got hurt my senior year. I hurt my back and I, I hurt a couple vertebrae and I had to go through the, the traction where they pull your mm. pull you apart and, and everything else. And I was just in bad shape. So I went from being really good at sports to drinking kind of became my new hobby. So when I made that transition from high school to college, um, drinking is what stuck. Mm. So I went to Wichita State. I started out at Wichita State and I, I wanted to be just like my dad, like we've talked before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in a family where, uh, you know, upper middle class, um, what was really drilled in for, for, for your character was, you know, take honor in what you do, you know, always be a good person, you know, mm-hmm. always help other people out, mm-hmm. um, have integrity, you know, be loyal, be kind. Right. Um, this was what was drilled into me at a young age, but kind of like, like your situation, you know, I, so my dad I won't call him atheist. I'll call him agnostic. Okay. Um, he had grown up in a Christian family, like my grandparents' house. And at some point in time, he had kind of fallen away from, from that. Right. And he kind of viewed Christianity as like a crutch that weak people lean on because they can't solve their own problems. Mm. <laughs> you know, and that okay. was, so that was my view. Right. And I was going to, so I, I'd started out at Wichita state. I had a year there and then I trans, I didn't do well. I drank, uh, my alcoholism was full, full bore. I wasn't doing well living there. You know, it, it wasn't good. So okay. I, I transferred and went to Emporia State and I changed my major to political science and history. And originally in high school, like Vaughn Kaufman, he's the blue dot guy. In, well, he used to be the blue dot guy in Topeka, but um, I was really good friends with both of his sons. They were twins, excellent athletes. Uh, Vaughn really thought I was going to be the, the president of the United States someday. Like he, <laughs> okay. he did, man. He believed in me. <laughs> okay. And I had planned on going to college, doing ROTC, then Marine Corps as an officer, and then JAG, and then outside law school, military pays for law, and then mm. go the DA, senator, governor. Wow. You, okay. know, you really had it I, all mapped out. I, I mean... 
<laughs> kind of. That was yeah. the dream. Sure, I'll say that. sure. I don't know about mapped out, but mm-hmm. but I yeah yeah. I but finance is what you were doing at Wichita State, and did you was there something that once you kind of got into that, you realized that this is I my- didn't I didn't want to be my dad. Gotcha. Okay. Like what he did, and and how he did it. My dad is such an incredibly intelligent individual, and my dad likes things black and white, and mm. I'm more of a gray area kind of person. Okay. So like. I understand the draw to that. Like it, it, numbers don't lie. Yep. Right. Right. There, there's a right answer and there's a wrong there answer. There is a right. Until you get yeah. into really theoretical advanced mathematics, like there's right and there's wrong. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I, 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 I excelled in mathematics. However, when I got into taxation and, and managerial accounting and taxation accounting, I did not do well. Okay. But you know, if I would have really applied myself, mm-hmm. who knows? I don't know. I don't know. I applied myself to drinking yeah, and, and partying in Wichita, but that yeah. was about it. Okay. So I make my transfer over to Emporia state and I get into this, into this, this, and I, oh, sorry, I'd gotten a DUI at Wichita state. Oh, okay. I got my first DUI on my 20, like within a week of my 21st birthday at Wichita state. And that killed the dream. Mm. That's no longer a possibility at that time. You're not an officer in the Marine Corps. If you have a DUI. Oh, Okay doesn't happen. Okay. So that was kind of the, the first heartbreak that changed the, the plan. Right. So fast forward, I, uh, I get into Emporia state and I'm taking the classes that I like and subjects that I like. And I start excelling. I mean, I make the Dean's list. I I'm doing really well. My GPA is going up. I'm making up for all the classes that I failed at at Wichita. Um, everything's going really well. So while the drinking got better, it didn't go away. When you say got better, meaning you weren't doing it as regularly? Correct. Okay. Correct. I didn't know if that meant your tolerance had gotten better. No. <laughs> and you could be more productive. Right. Anyway, go ahead. I'm kind of joking. No, you're good. I, I went back to being a weekend warrior instead of having a reason to drink on every night of the week. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was mostly with my home crowd. Like my, my crowd at Emporia State was, I was kind of back into the scholastic academic group. Yep. And I would just party with my friends at home. So it was kind of back to a similar situation as high school. And I was also living at home. So myself and my fiance at the time had moved back and were living with my parents, my high school sweetheart. So I get done. I get toward the end of my schooling at Emporia State and I'm getting ready to graduate. And I do my student teaching or my, my student, student planning at Lowther Intermediary School in Emporia. Okay. And I'm going to be a high school history teacher and I'm going to teach kids real history. You know, Mm. all the stuff they don't tell you about in the history books, you know, what really happened, you know, you follow the drugs, you follow the money, you find out why things happen. Right. You know, Iran Contra, what happened in Nam, you know, other places, not going to get into all that, but I have some, I have some different views on how our history went down and the victors write the history books. Okay. But the main thing is, is I'm going to teach kids that religion in itself is a created imaginary thing to enslave the masses. Right. And it it keeps people under some form of social control. And I'm going to teach them that there is no God. Okay. Right. So that's, that's the, wow. That's the plan. What a plan. Uh, so I don't like teaching. I don't do well. Uh, I mean, I, I did well, I did well, like with the planning and the lesson plans and with the kids, but like having to deal with parents in a low socioeconomic status, where teachers' hands are tied when they see things that they don't like coming from home. 
Yeah. You can only do as much as the school or the school board. And I'm not a teacher, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to comment on it, but your, your hands are tied to a, to a degree. And I wasn't, I wasn't okay with that. And I thought, you know, well, maybe I'll just, I'm just going to finish school. I'm going to get my degree and then I'll, I'll figure out what I want to do after that. Probably law school. So I moved to Lawrence and I start working at a loan agency. So you graduated from Emporia State? Okay. Yeah, my degree is from Emporia State. Okay. And I'm working at a loan agency. And while I was in college, I'd started playing a lot of pool. And I got, you know, that was, that was, I was really into it and I was really good at it. And it kind of runs in my blood. You know, my Uncle Herb was a three-time All-American pool wow. player. Okay. And <laughs> my grandpa was a, you know, a hustling machine. <laughs> <laughs> in everything in life. And he's, you know, I'm, I'm very similar to my, my grandpa doll, but, um, at least we have some of the same vices. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm working at this agency and I, I can't stand it. And you know, my, my fiance is, is done and she's doing her student teaching in, in Lawrence or something. She's working for one of the schools. And after a certain period of time, I'm making more money playing pool than I am at work. How much money are we talking about? I mean, 1500 to two grand a week. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah. So how does, but I mean, obviously you're hustling, right? Like you're, you're, you're gambling on your skill set of playing pool and people are coming into the, into, is that how this works? Because people are coming in they're like, okay, I want to play you. And you say, all right, if you want to play me, it's a hundred bucks or whatever. Like, how does that work? Yeah, to a degree, but mostly what you're doing is you're traveling to different guys that you know are big gamblers. And then you argue over handicap Oh. And I'm an unknown. Nobody knows who I am. You know, I'm walking into these places. I'm asking for the world and handicap and they're giving it to me. Mm. And, and then you're I'm winning. On occasion. I mean, win and lose, but I won a lot more than I lost. Okay. Well, at this point in time. Right. <laughs> so the, the being in the bars all the time. I mean, I was at the bar every night. I went to the bar and shot every night. Like I had the keys to every table in town. Like I could, I'd go in and I'd drink and I'd shoot. Um, and like uh, close to the, you know, my home bar, I would always have a game, but it would be for a li- just a little bit of money. You know, it'd be the same guys in there that I'm playing for 20 bucks a mm-hmm. game or 20 bucks a race to three, stuff like that. Okay. But it would, you know, it'd pay for my drinks all night. I'd leave with a couple hundred bucks and it's a good day. Okay. So. And the drinking is not in, uh, is not in, is not what am I trying to say here? Is not it hurting your ability to play well? Oh no, it absolutely does. Okay. However, so I'm playing these guys and we'd be up there, like the bar would close, everybody'd be gone, and we'd be in there till four or five o'clock in the morning. Hmm. Wow. Hustle like playing. Okay. So I'd notice these guys, I would be getting drunker and drunker as the night go, would go on and they'd be drinking just as much as me, getting just as drunk as me. They'd go to the bathroom and come back and they'd be bright eyed and bushy tailed uh. and then they'd start firing balls in. So I had, I had experimented with cocaine and speed and, you know, whatever else uh, prior to this, like, you know, through high school and in college. But I hadn't had the freedom to make my own choices. Like I always had to go home. So, you know, I didn't want to get in too bad a shape because I never wanted my parents to see me in bad shape. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, you know, it was a lot more balanced. Okay. Well, I'm living with a friend now. My, my, my girlfriend and I are living with a friend, fiance and I are living with a friend. And 
I don't have anybody to answer to but me. I can do whatever I want. And being at the bars all the time and being around that crowd and, you know, just the way I work, I, uh, I started getting heavy into drugs. Because I noticed, you know, I, I could do it. I could put it down. I could be a weekend warrior to start with. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be at work on Monday and I'd be fine. You know, well, it started to progress into, you know, I'm not leaving the bar till six o'clock in the morning. I got to be there to open up the store and do the count and get everything ready by, you know, seven forty-five, seven thirty, eight o'clock. And, uh, I'm tired. Like I'm ready to go to bed. So I start using mm. at work. Mm. Right. And I do that for a few months before I'm finally like, I'm making more money doing playing pool than I am at work. Like this is a hindrance. So I quit. I leave and pool becomes my job. So it was shortly after that, that the, the drugs started taking over and I lost a massive amount of money and how much a lot, a lot. You don't know, or you don't want to say, I don't want to say it was a lot. Um, like five figures, five figures. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mid five. Right. So I need to come up with this money because I don't have it. I was, I was playing on lead and after the first two sets that I lost, um, I didn't have any way to come back. Mm. And gambling is, I mean, with my addictive personality, gambling is right there with everything else. Sure. I, uh, so I needed to make up money fast. I made a couple phone calls and I had really good connections to people that sold drugs. And that's what I started doing. And I was exceptionally good at it. Right. I've always kind of been a salesman. I've always been charismatic. I got moxie. You know, I'm a, I'm a fairly likable individual, I guess. Um, and you know a lot of people because it sounds like you spent a lot of time in a lot of different bars where it's easy to network and get to know people. And then they're not necessarily friends, but they're bar acquaintances. And I think sure. we've all at some point in time in our life have had that experience, right? Right. They're your friend when you're at the bar. Otherwise, you don't really know them that well. Correct. And But now you have something to offer. Right. I do. I do. I have something to offer <laughs> everywhere at every bar that I go to. The bartender knows who wants what mm-hmm. they always do. They know who's doing what, what they want, what their, what their type is, you know, what their thing is. And once I got to go with the bartenders, it made it really easy. The bartenders would do most of the work. Okay. Which I never really thought about it that way, Ronnie, but you, you, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Yeah. So I, uh, I get to where I'm, I, I'm, I'm just doing the drugs and playing the pool and, the drugs completely take over. I mean, it happened fast. Methamphetamine is. I don't know. It's, it's the devil, man. Mm-hmm. It really is. It really is. And, uh, the effect that it had on me and the person it turned me into, you know, and how scared I was all the time and how paranoid I was and the damage that I you know, did to my family and my friends. And I just wasn't around. Like I didn't, I didn't want anybody to see me that way. You know, I had this, I had this chip on my shoulder still from, from growing up in the family that I did and doing well in sports and having all these friends and, and, you know, having these accomplishments and, you know, I didn't want anybody to, to see me in the shape that I was like, I'd lost 60, 70 pounds on meth. I was skin and bones. I was a wreck. Beth. Wow. Yeah. I was a wreck. When it wasn't just meth, you know, I was still drinking and mm-hmm. I, anytime anything was around, I'd, I'd use it, you know, Coke, opiates, 
anything. It didn't matter. Anything that would put me in a different frame of mind. So Ronnie, something you got to realize, man, is, is since I was a little kid, I knew I was missing something. Right. And I think we all kind of have this hole in us. We do. We have this hole in us and we try to fill it with things. You know, a lot of people try to fill it with money. A lot of people try to fill it with food or, or gambling or, or, uh, you know, whatever makes us feel good, right? Sex relationships, whatever, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We try to, we try to fill this hole and Ronnie, I just had this insatiable hunger to, to try to feel whole because I didn't feel complete and I never fit in anywhere. Right. I'm a, I'm a chameleon. I can change my colors based on my surroundings. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm never really myself. You know, I never develop an identity that I can say, this is who I am. Okay. So when, when opportunities would come up for me to damage my character or damage this view that I had of myself or, or anything else, like I, I didn't know who I was, so I didn't have that anchor. You know, I wasn't anchored to anything. I was just floating around aimlessly. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I get to the point where I'm done. I don't want to do the drugs anymore. I go, I get sober. And I'm coming home after finally being sober for the first time. And the U.S. Marshals are, are waiting to pick me up. So I had a federal indictment out on me from selling to undercover cops. Hmm. Well, after it had happened, I left town. Like, that was the end of the run for me. Like, I didn't know. I didn't, where did you go? To Florida. I went to St. Pete Beach, Florida. And it hmm. was. Why there? So I'd been to, I don't know how many other rehabilitation centers like close by. I'd been to Valley Hope several times and I'd been all over the place. And like, I, I wanted to get away from the, I wanted to get far enough away to where I couldn't make a phone call and get and cop, cop dope. Okay. And that was plenty far away. Sure. But you know, I didn't realize at the time, but my, my problem wasn't drugs and alcohol, you know, drugs and alcohol, you can stay away from. My problem was me. And regardless of where I went, I was always going to be there to find me. Mm. So it actually didn't happen in Florida. The, the change of environment worked. You know, I went to St. Pete and I, I got into Alcoholics Anonymous and I spent all that money on rehab. And then I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous and got sober for 100 pennies. Cost a dollar, a dollar to get sober in AA. Wow. Right. And AA opened up my acceptance or maybe it, it, it opened up a doorway between me and a higher power, right? Cause you know, they, they talk about, you know, you're giving, giving it over, giving your will and your life over to a higher power, right? Relinquishing control, mm-hmm. not being the director anymore, right? Giving okay. it, giving it to a higher power. So higher power was my first, like, uh, kind of was my segue. AA was my segue into Christianity. Hmm. so I'm there, I get sober, I come home, uh, everything's going really well. I done like 130 meetings. So 90 and 90 is like the big thing they push. Like if you really want to get sober, do 90 meetings in 90 days. Hmm. And I done, like I said, 130, 140 meetings. I was going to two, sometimes three meetings a day. I never missed. I'm doing exceptionally well in Florida. I'm going to, my, my Tom Murphy, who was my sponsor at the time, uh, he was a big uh, real estate investor and he had a big property management and he did all kinds of stuff down there. He had his hands in everything. Um, and I'm going to move down there and I'm going to work for him because he's getting to retirement age. You know, he, he sees my drive. He sees my passion. He sees my, my 
you know, if I set my mind to it, like it's going to happen. And he's like, I'm going to bring this kid down here to work with me. And like, I'm going to help keep him sober. So I come back and the U S marshals are waiting for me to come back and they pick me up. I go to CCA and CCA is if you don't remember, but what is it? It's a, it's a privatized prison system. Okay. Right. Okay. Privatized, which we're not even going to get started on that path. Actually, we might, we might get into some of that later. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) I am. I'm not a big fan of the, I'm not a big fan of treating mental health issues with penal solutions. Mm. I don't think putting people in prison for mental health issues is a, is right. Okay. I think the drugs and alcohol and the crimes that are spinoffs of those, which I'd say the majority of them are, um, are undiagnosed, untreated mental health issues. Hmm. I can see that. So, so you go into this, right. I go into the CCA, which is like the federal holding facility and I get out on pretrial release, right? Because I've got this outstanding support system with my family and I'm a college graduate and I'm kind of an oddity. Like you don't see a lot of college graduates from a nice upper middle class family where, you know, the parents have been married for 25, 30 years. And, you know, I never, you know, I was never beaten. Like I had the the best parents in the world. My mom and dad are the best parents in the world. Like they were, they've been by my side through everything. And I mean, hand in hand with me. Okay. Right. Um, And I put them through hell. Like I was, I was killing my parents. Like they're watching their son who, you know, they had so much hope in and had such big dreams and big goals just like fall apart. Like I'm, I'm killing myself every day mm-hmm. and they're, they're watching this, trying to help me, literally trying anything, but it doesn't matter how much you love someone, like until they make the choice, like I want my life to change. And that's, that's going with depression, anxiety, I mean, anything mm-hmm. until you make the conscious to- choice. Like I want to be healed. I want, I don't want to be this way. Right. It's never going to happen. Right. So I'm out on pretrial release. Let me ask a real quick yeah. question if I can about the pretrial release. Did it give you, did you have any credibility because you had made a decision upon yourself to go to Florida, to go get therapy and go through AA? And I mean, obviously that had to have been taken into account that prior to them picking you up, you were already putting yourself in a position to be on the mend. Right. Right. I'm, I'm sure that it helped. I mean, if, if you really look back, Ronnie, I had a million miracles happen to, for everything to work out the way that it did. Yeah. We're going to get into some of those, you know, so I, uh, I'm out and I think I'm home for two weeks before my subconscious tells me like, Hey man, you're getting ready to go to prison and your life is over. And you know, my, the, the only thing I ever wanted to be like really be good at since I, I mean, as, as long as I can remember was I wanted to be a good dad. Mm-hmm. Mm. I did. I wanted to be a good dad, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and now you're putting however much time that's on hold for like, at this point, you don't know how long, right? Right. Or they're, they're probably telling you, no, it's probably, I have no idea. You have no idea. Right. Nobody's c- given you like it. Well, it's going to be this to this. Right. Cause yeah, I have no idea. Oh my gosh. So I'm, I'm thinking like, man, if they've got everything I ever did, I am in Mm-hmm. big trouble <laughs> how far did they dig <laughs> right right who <laughs> did, did they, they talk, who did you talk to, <laughs> who, did talk to? <laughs> who did you talk to which bartenders <laughs> right, did you right, talk right 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 no so uh you know what and and mm-hmm. you know i was so upset at the time but looking back man they those guys saved my life they really did yeah you know it's, it's 2020 hindsight but they did they saved my life so where are we at now you know year wise like so we, 2012 we, 
Okay, so how many years? So you, we started with Wichita State. A year later, you go to Emporia State. Which we had, what year are we looking at? Right. About so there? I graduated in May of twelve, and this is so. This would have been mid. So right now we're in two thousand thirteen. We're in mid two thousand thirteen. Okay, so a year after graduation, basically. when you when the U.S. Marshals are taking you in. Yeah, basically, it was about a year, year and a half. Yeah. Okay. So I start using again, and. <sighs> Now was that was that because that you said my life was screw over, it dude. yeah you said screw it I go to I want to go find a party yeah. or you're already down on your luck and an old friend who did use brought you in yeah it was it was it was sorry Jules <laughs> I'd get lonely and I'd want to go see my old girlfriends that I mm-hmm. left because of the dope mm-hmm. and I knew that as long as I was around them I was going to use it but when I left you know I'd always there was a drive to you know I wanted to see how they were doing because it's Ronnie like it's such a dark world man and and people are really hurt and you know you're seeing you know people that have you know generally what I saw with the people that I was around is there was something that happened you know and I never had that I didn't have I can't Mm -hmm. I can't look back in my past and say that's why I became addicted to drugs Mm -hmm. it doesn't exist I I have no excuse right Mm -hmm. you know it's the it's the culmination of that story you know the whole and never Mm -hmm. really feeling like I fit in and not knowing who I was it's a it's a lot of different things but the majority of the people that I was around, like there was a reason why they were using meth. There was a reason why they were using opiates. There was a reason why they were drinking. Well, sure. And so this, you, so this is your fiance is no more. No, we had gotten into a hot mess in okay. Raytown and <laughs> it was not good. And in Raytown, Raytown, of all places, Raytown, Missouri? Raytown, Missouri. Okay, but you're living in Lawrence. Buddy, I was all over the was place. Was she a user? Mm-hmm. That, that puts you in a comp- uh, compromising position to answer that, huh? Um, she was nothing like me. I'll say that. Okay. She was a good girl. Okay. So, um, I basically Does she know her. of your use. Oh yeah, yeah, she knew, but so not did, to the degree that it was. Okay, so let me ask this then. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The person who, uh, there's a word for it where they help that person enabler they, enabler. enabler. That's exactly the word I'm looking for. Did she enable you? Um, so she enjoyed playing pool and she enjoyed like that life. And she liked that. I was a, you know, I'm kind of a cool guy, right? You are a cool dude. I think you're a cool dude. Well, I wasn't then. (laughs) Okay. I wasn't then. I do. What was it? I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Before we started hitting record, I looked in the camera and I said, Jillian, you look fantastic today. And I said, John, you look okay. (laughs) That's the joke. So everybody knows. But you're a cool dude, man. I like you. I'm glad. I see what you're saying. Like she likes playing pool. You're good at pool. You're winning money, which. Right. Is good for her too. Right. Well, and and we'd been, I mean, we started dating my sophomore, junior year in high school. Like we've been together forever. You had a big history. Right. Right. We've been together for a long time. So, um, like we were, she was committed and Mm -hmm. it got to the point where, like I said, I, things got hot and I knew where my life was going. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen, but like I had somehow at some point in time made the decision, like, this is who I am. Right. Like this mm-hmm. is my life. I'm, I'm doing this mm-hmm. and dude, I'm 120 mile an hour person, whether it's in the right direction or the wrong direction. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm going, I, I, I can relate to that in some ways. Yes. Right. You know? So at what point then, I guess getting back to Jill's question then is we're trying to kind of figure out before you're going to the pen, um, that does, I guess what I wanted to get out of her question is, is that did the, did the separation from her, 
which because she's your fiance, yeah, right? This was that was the last anchor that I had. I'm completely free floating now. Yeah, right. and was did that put you in a tailspin uh, emotionally? Were oh, you absolutely? Uh, yeah, I would imagine it did. And then yeah. so then you get a little bit more reckless, and then at that point it's like I I surrender. I'm going to Florida, right? And so that brings us fast forward back to where we're at. She's not one of those people you call on. You're trying to find women who you had had relationships with to fill the loneliness void. Right. And they were users. And so that was where you were filling your hole. Right. Well, and, and every time I left, I try to take people with me, mm. you know, I would make the decision that, Hey, we need to stop doing this. So this needs to be done. So I would try to take, take people out with me. And then afterwards I would go back after I'd gotten sober and, and try to pull people out. And inevitably I would end up getting high again. Mm. Did you try to call her? The fiance? Oh, several times, man. She, several times. She wouldn't have it, huh? She rightfully didn't have it. Yeah. I So when we split, I basically was like, listen, this is going to get bad. I don't want you to be around this anymore. Mm. And she left and she turned her back on that life and that was it. Like that was literally it. And then afterwards, like her parents were trying to protect her. And like anytime I tried to call or talk to her, because I had realized that like I just lost somebody that I really, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, man, no, she uh, she started she started a new life. Okay, thank goodness, because I was a hot mess and I was leading us nowhere fast. Mm. So you're going back, you're using again, you're reconnecting with, um. Old flames, for well, lack of better ways. Yeah, was there an addiction yeah. to sex there? If oh, you don't mind me asking, yeah, I mean, was absolutely, that absolutely, man? And the drugs and the sex, the drug addiction and the sex addiction go hand in hand. I mean, it's it's all man. Once you're in that world of of like we live in a fallen world, and but there's layers to it. Like this is really fallen. Like these are people with really hurt souls, like myself, mm-hmm. um, trying to find love. Or, or, you know, and, and at some point in time, I think you kind of get addicted to like the, the sadness, the sadness of everything. Mm. Right. Mm. I don't know. But. Well, yeah. or it's, it's a justification for whatever, like, oh, that, that new hurt or that new sadness, which is really probably all the same sadness, but like, oh, like it's a new hole. Like, right. oh, I gotta, oh, but I, but it's okay. I'm, I'm just, it's just because this hurts and I'm just, once I feel better, then I'll be better. Correct. And, and then you just, it's like this, like this, right? No, it is. It's it. Yeah. Is this, and that's it. If I, if I can explain my, my life from, from puberty to, to my early twenties, it's, an absolute roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which right. things haven't really changed a lot. It's just the bumps are the, the hills and valleys are a lot smaller. When you start using again, do you get in trouble again before the, you actually become incarcerated? <clears throat> so I, uh, I've got a girlfriend, right. And she lives in the same neighborhood as me and she's connected to my uh, my local friends. How I'm growing up on the lake? Okay, before we get into that, sorry, I gotta. I is gotta this get before some the marshals or after the marshals? After the marshals. Okay, so what is the timeline then from the marshals, and then they, you know that you get you're you're gonna have to go serve time, right? Right. So how long are you out? Like a month. So you get a new girlfriend in a month. Because <laughs> you called her your girlfriend, or well, we've been just... friends and we'd seen each other, and she's she's she is family to really close friends of mine. Okay. Right. And she'd had her own troubles with addiction. Okay. Um, in fact, she, uh, died 
six oh. years ago from a heroin overdose mm. and left a, left a baby daughter. Mm, that crushes me to hear that. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. Mm. She was probably one of the sweetest, kindest people you'll ever meet. But, um, so Marshall, so if I can, if I, cause I'm trying to figure out the timeline too. So the Marshalls and you're like, I'm in trouble. This is deep. This is bad. Right. But they don't, they don't hold you. It's not bad enough that they're. Yeah. My parents come and get me. I'm okay. out on pretrial release. So pre-trial do you have like an ankle okay. bracelet or something? Or do, I mean, is there any kind of like house no. arrest or anything? I mean, not really. Okay. Okay. Not really. So sorry if I'm asking dumb questions. No, you're okay. but I've watched a few okay. movies. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not on that level yet. <laughs> okay. I'm, not, I'm okay. not quite there. But right. it's only a month or so that right. you're in this space. Okay. Right. So I, uh, or it was a month, two months, something yeah. like that. Okay. Short time. Right. So I am at the bar in Pomona, and it was a private club called the Seven Hundred Club, <laughs> which means. Uh, it was, I think the address was 700. Oh, okay. <laughs> you have to do make $700,000 a year to be in this club. Do you club? know why no. that's funny that a bar is called the 700 club? Do you know? Because there, the old Christian. There, there was an old Christian show. Right, right, right. Like when I was a kid that was on channel 50 in Kansas city and it was like Pat <laughs> Robertson and the 700 club. Yeah. And it was really, I never knew like that. So yeah. So that's, oh, that is that's funny. Yeah. Coincidence. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, so you go to the 700 club and get bombed. <laughs> We're bombed, man. And we got, we got, we got really stoned before we sorry we didn't get stoned we got really high before we left and uh then we go there and she's she's i think she's bartending there and we get hammered and what's the difference between high and stoned so you just said i, I got say, really stoned wait a minute no we got really high so and i they, wouldn't the, i wouldn't say like like getting stoned i think is reserved for marijuana mm-hmm. okay i think like I wouldn't say you got I got I got really stoned on methamphetamine. Ah, gotcha. you know what I mean. Okay. So we're we're there and I'm drunk and I uh, I'm really down on myself and you know it'd been getting my depression had been getting worse and worse and now that I'm you know I just got done having all this sober time and I'm finally sober and like I'm rekindling my 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 relationships with my family members and you know they're starting to like believe in me again and trust me and, and everything else. And I'm pissing it all away. Right. And I'm like, you know, what are the, what's, you know, why me? You know, I get into the, the woe is me. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, I just decide kind of like, man, I, I don't really think I want to live anymore. Mm. So I get in my car and I'm driving and it's late. And, uh, my girlfriend is, is leaving a minute behind me and I just take off. And I'm driving way, way, way too fast. On purpose, like. Right. Like, I mean, just reckless. Like, I don't care if I live or die. Okay. So I'm coming around this corner and I kind of just decide I'm, I I don't really want to live anymore. And I close my eyes and I let go of the steering wheel. And I end up going off an embankment on 268 Highway right before you get to Green Acres and the dam to go over the lake. And my windows are rolled down and everything in my, everything that's in my car goes out the window. I'm not wearing my seatbelt and my car is flipped. What are you driving? I'm driving a 2009, 2010 Nissan Maxima. Okay. It was was my grandma's old car and it was fast. Okay. It was really fast. It was a fun car, but it wasn't like a big super duty, like SUV where it was going to protect you from. No way, man. Everything went out the window. Everything. Except for you. Except for me. Makes no sense. Um, so the car stops rolling and I'm, I'm digging around trying to find a cigarette. And I had, I had a pack of Marlboro sitting on my lap and I had hit so hard that they had exploded. 
on wow. in, like on impact and I'm digging around. And the, the reason I'm telling you that is because I was looking for a whole cigarette and all there was was shredded tobacco everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. That's so I, frustrating. Right. So I, I get up and I look behind the car, dude, and my stuff is scattered down the road behind me. And Daria was supposed to be right behind me, but she's not because she's not a maniac driving 115, 20 miles an hour. And, uh, I just walk up to the road and start walking home. What are you? So, you're so, are you like incoherent because you're so bombed with the alcohol and the drugs? Like, do you remember oh, yeah. what you were thinking? Were you thinking like, how the hell did I survive that? That like, is exactly what I was thinking. I'm yeah. thinking there's no way, it's not humanly possible for somebody to walk away from that. It's not. Okay. So something is different. Something has changed. So right? you've got a lot of time here. Is your, well, maybe not a lot of time because she's coming down the road, but you've got some time to kind of evaluate this mess that you've left and the damage of this vehicle and where the, the car ended up. And now you're walking up to the road. What's, what are you like? What are you processing? What's going through your mind in all of this? So it, um, so I'm a digester, right? Like I, I, uh, Sometimes with stuff like that, like it takes me time to digest and like inform my thoughts. Yeah. My wife gets mad at me because she thinks I'm like, I'm mad at her when I'm really just trying to digest like our conversation because, you know, I think with important things, it's worth taking your time before you, you talk. I could do better at that. <laughs> me too. You're not alone. Jules, you in our boat? Oh no, gosh, I'm perfect. <laughs> Amen. My husband's not here to. I'm going to text him Are to you? listen yeah, to this yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so you're digesting everything that has taken place. Right. And it's, it's, it's not making sense. This is something completely new. I'm in uncharted waters right now. And, um, a couple minutes later, uh, my girlfriend catches up to me and she asked me, she's like, is that your car back there? And I'm like, yeah, she's like, oh, John, she's like get in the car. And I, so I got in her car and got my cigarette. Finally. And, yeah. Finally for Jeez. crying out loud, mm -hmm. got my cigarette and you know, she's just telling me on the way home, like, there's no way you're okay. Like there's gotta be something wrong. Nobody walks away from that. Mm -hmm. And we get back to her house and, um, we talk for a few minutes and then I, I, I basically call my mom and I tell her like, I, you know, I wrecked our car and, um, I, I was high again because they didn't know that I'd, I'd started using again. Mm. You know, they thought I was still, you know, however, so how long were you using going up to that accident? A couple of weeks. Okay. Something like that. Not very long, you okay. know, cause I hadn't been, I hadn't been home that long. And, uh, you know, I, I tell her what's going on and I tell both my parents and they're just destroyed. You know, they're crushed. Mm -hmm. You know, they finally thought that I was going to be okay. You know, they've been waiting for a long time. And, you know, I was back to, you know, the, the hell that I just crawled out of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I go into my room and I'm, I'm just, I'm falling apart. My soul is broken. You know, I'm just, I'm sobbing and I feel like my world is just over. Mm -hmm. So I get down on my hands and knees and I just cry out to the universe and I'm, I go, you know, I don't know what's out there. You know, I know there's got to be something more than me, but I can't do this anymore. I, I can't, I want to die. Like whatever's out there, whoever's out there, like I need your help. And that was the moment that I was saved. You I, talked to, uh, when we talked on the phone, you, you explained it as a warm blanket. Right. So I, uh, 
I'm down, I'm on my hands and knees and I'm sobbing. And like I said, like everything inside me, like I'm so hurt, you know, this is the culmination of, and, and you got to remember, like they tell you not to form relationships in the dope game or, or like if, when you're living that life, it's because like, if you get attached to people, like only bad things are going to happen, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the chances are against these people. We don't have the, we don't have the infrastructure in place to deal with the epidemic that's going on around us right now. And I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm carrying all this hurt. And another big thing, Ronnie is, you know, I felt like nobody on the outside understood me, you know? So another reason why I would go back outside of just seeing friends would be because I'd be around people that knew that understood what I was going through and who I was. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, it was, it was hard, you know, seeing all that, that I'd gone through with, and all that the, my friends had gone through and all the mistakes I'd made. And I'd lost this, you know, great girl and, and all my opportunities that I had. And I, I wanted help. I, I couldn't do it myself. This was the, I'd finally run into that, you know, like you're not moving past this point. Like this is it. And I cried out for help and I'm down on my hands and knees and I'm, I'm just sobbing. And I feel this warm blanket get wrapped around me and I feel t- like my hair stand up and like, I just feel this, this sense of just wellness and okay. Like everything's going to be okay. And that's what I hear. You know, I hear, I don't hear it audibly, mm-hmm. but I can, I can hear it in my soul. Mm-hmm. And somebody tells me everything's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And it was, it was the most eerie and, and satisfying and loving. And I mean, how did you not fight that being that you grew up in a family that didn't really believe Ronnie, you know, like, looking back, I'd fought it forever, man. So, okay. I guess I what was, I'm saying was fighting the sensation, but go ahead, Jill, ask yeah, your question. Well, no, I mean, I want you to explain that for sure. But how did you know, you said that's the moment I became saved. How did you know that's what that feeling was? Because that was the voice of Jesus Christ that I heard and I knew exactly. <laughs> no, but you got to no, think. No, no, no. I, 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 I hear you. I, I just wanted studied. to know if, if you knew because I think when people, um, like most people don't, don't come to Christ that way. Right. Right. Most people, I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't somebody's listening now going, that's how it happened to me. But I'm just saying most people have the knowledge and they have the, somebody pouring into them or they've been taken to vacation Bible school and they're a kid or right. like they, they can identify because you didn't even cry out to God. Yeah, I had no, I had no idea who it was. Right. right? I, I didn't know who I was crying out to, Right. but I definitively but knew, knew who answered. Yeah. I definitively knew who answered. Ooh, that's cool. And I'd, I, like I said, I'd studied world religion. It was one of my greatest passions, yeah. you know, Greek and Roman, uh, you know, all the, all the different philosophers and all the different world religions, you know, and, and cause that's what I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to figure out how the world worked and I couldn't understand what was going on around me. So I chose to study the past to understand the present. Yeah. Right. I'm a right. context guy. We talked right. about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, like I said, I had. Like I had no relationship with Christ. I had nothing tying me to Christianity. I think we'd been to church maybe two or three times in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And that was either because I was going with a cute girl or it was Christmas and we were at the Crumpsick side and they're all yeah. Catholics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so somebody who had put so much time and effort into history and, and educating yourself on different aspects of history, what was your viewpoint before this, obviously before this prayer, what was your viewpoint of the Bible being that, it is a history book. Right. 
so I had, I had tried several times. So, uh, you know, Siddhartha and, and, uh, you know, the Quran and all the different books, like I had, I'd had, I'd had a study in each of them for, for assignments and papers to understand their, their views and why they were, why they believed what they thought and what, kind of what created those beliefs or where in history, the, you know, the content around them, the context. Mm-hmm. And, but like, for some reason, every time I opened the Bible, like it didn't make any sense. I would read the words and I got, I got absolutely nothing from them. Mm. Right. So I, you know, I used different secondary sources, but as far as the Bible is a primary source, like I had nothing. Okay. So I, uh, this happens and I'm uh, sorry, back in the moment, this happens. Yeah. I'm on my hands and knees. This happens. I, I feel, I feel the spirit of Christ on me and I hear him speak to me. And I knew from that moment on, like that I was going to be okay. I mean, to, you know, I, I, I felt okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to die anymore. Mm-hmm. So I go to Stormont Vale West in Topeka. That's the, uh, that's the suicide and the mental health, like kind of the short term, um, hospital for that. Was that your decision? No. So the cops showed up first after the accident and then the ambulance showed up right behind them. The police were trying to arrest me for a DUI Okay. and the ambulance showed up and they're like, uh, no, like there's no way this kid is okay. After looking at that wreck, we're taking him to the hospital right now. Mm-hmm. Like you can figure everything else out after we get there, but we're going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I get an ambulance and go to the hospital and, um, from the hospital, like, you know, my parents are there and, and the doctors are in there like, John, did you try to kill yourself? And at first I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then, you know, my mom was like, John, tell the truth. And something in me had changed, hmm. you know, like I was, I was out of lies, man. Yep. Like I had lied myself out of lies and I was just, I was done. Okay. You know, you know, an addict's line. No, his, his mouth is open. Really? <laughs> okay. Never heard that one. I never heard that one. Put you on some game. I guess Jillian, she's nodding her head. Like she's yeah, heard, heard that heard one. That. Sorry. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. I'm the dumbass. So anyway, <laughs> <That's> all right. <laughs> Well, I'll remember that one now. Um, so you admit then to your mom and the doctors and everyone that it was a suicide attempt. Right. Right. And at that point, then I guess my next question then was, I mean, is it possible that they could write you a DUI even though you're admitted into the hospital? And, and did they do that? No, no, I didn't end up getting a DUI. So the police just was like, this guy's got bigger problems. We're not even going to waste our time on him anymore. I don't know. I'm Uh, not going to, it was a God thing, brother. Yeah. How long after though? Because what, I mean, like. Like, are we talking, because you, you wrecked the car, girlfriend picked you up, you go home, right. fall on your knees, Jesus talks to you. The ambulance shows up. The ambulance or shows the up. The ambulance so you would have still been drunk. Oh, for maybe, sure. Like For sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm still like heavily under a lot of influences. If they would have taken a blood sample, I would have had all kinds of shenanigans in my system. So, yes. Okay. Okay. And um, I just lost what I was going to say. How long were you in the hospital? No, I was going to ask, was, did you have any, did you have a scratch? Did you have a concussion? Did you have anything? Nothing. Nothing. I had some pulled muscles in my back from the, from the like impact in the roll. Yeah. Nothing. Not a scratch. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Julian, my AA big book that I had in my back seat was torn to shreds. Like I still have it. Mm -hmm. I still have the book. Mm -hmm. It was, it was destroyed, destroyed. 
okay. the pack of cigarettes I had on my pocket right. in a box right. was destroyed. I couldn't right. find a single cigarette, and mm. I get out of this thing without a scratch. Mm, mm, mm. Crazy. How long did you spend in the hospital? So I spent the night at the hospital hospital. Okay. Next day, Stormont Vale West. Which is the suicide place, right? Right, right, okay. right. The mental health suicide watch place. Um, and I'm there for three days, and the only thing I took with me was my Bible. So and, you had a Bible. Oh, yeah, everybody's got a Bible in their house. Well, well I wouldn't assume that. I, if you said your family was agnostic, you know, right. and that they don't believe, I'm not going to assume that they have a Bible in the house. Right. I mean, we, so like I said, like we, my, my, my grandfather had been, had been heavily uh, into the church in Wichita before they moved up. And my, gotcha. my dad's belief had changed sometime while he was in college. Okay. And, um, you know, and I, I'm sure that I, on several occasions I tried to, I had, you know, I'd wanted it. Like I looked at what Christians had and like they were happy and they were always kind to each other. And like, yeah, they make mistakes like everybody else, which at the time I used to try to hang them with, you know, mm-hmm, I was like, oh, sure. you're, you believe in this and how could you do this? If I believed in this, I would never do that. Right. Hypocrite, right? hypocrite. Right. right. That's, that's right. favorite word, right? Yeah. Right. So <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, yeah, Ronnie, I don't know why. I don't know why, but I'm sure. I I'm glad one. you had a Bible. I mean, I'm not trying to make an <laughs> argument out of that. I mean, thank right. goodness you had one there to take with you to the hospital. Right, right. And praying grandparents, <clears throat> right? Right. Right. So a big difference. you talked about not being able to understand the Bible and none of it registering or making any sense to you prior to the accident and the prayer that you do after the accident. Right. <clears throat> but now you're being, t- being taken to the hospital and you're going to take this Bible with you. Are you, is it just with you? Is it just something that you're holding on to? Or are you actually now trying to pour into it, read it? And is it starting to make sense to you? So uh, the take it with me part was just to have it with me. Okay. But once I got there and things quieted down and I wasn't being poked and prodded, um, I opened it and all of a sudden it starts making sense. Do you remember where you started? I think it was John. I think it was in the gospel of John. That's a good one. It's a, I mean, guy's That's got a, a decent one. name. <laughs> yeah, guy's got right? a decent name. Right. He was Is a that why it was? Because of your name? You know, John was a big fisher. I'm a fisher. Okay. Like I got somebody I can relate with here. Okay. Um, but it wasn't because of John three sixteen. It was man. So I'd heard that prayer my whole life. Okay. You know, it was always, it's kind of a go-to, which yeah. I got it. I got it. I got the, I got yeah. the ink on it now. Yeah. And, uh, show that for the camera, by the way, turn that so that everybody can see that. There you go. We which by the way, you should be watching this episode on Spotify or YouTube. Right. Proceed. What's the, what's the text in though? This what? is in Hebrew. Okay. That's what I wondered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's the actual, uh, scripture from three, Jim, John, John three sixteen in Hebrew. Hebrew. Yes. Okay. Why did you want to get it tattooed in Hebrew? So, uh, at some point in time, and this was later down the road, but I, I had an, an affinity for like, I wanted to, I wanted to understand like Hebrew and, and Aramaic and like the original languages that they spoke in, Okay, you know, that Jesus, that Jesus spoke and it gave a sermon on the mound and everything else, but it just, I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a, it didn't have a real specific purpose. Okay. All right. So you're in John and you're reading this and it's starting to make sense. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I'm one of those people that God had to find at, like at my lowest point. Like it took me getting to this point where I, I, I had, I felt like I had nothing, which that was, I couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I felt like I had nothing and, you know,
know, that's, I think that's where God finds us, man, is at our, our, our darkest moments, or our lowest moments. Um, because that's when we're, we're open to the idea of letting him in. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you, 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 I don't care who you are at some point in time in your life, like you're going to reach uh, a situation or a moment that you do not have what it takes. You do not have what it takes to, to handle. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's in those moments, it's in those moments that grace happens. Mm-hmm. That's where grace occurs is when we've, we've reached that last stop and we can't hang on anymore and our fingers are slipping off the bar that God catches us and he wraps us in that, you know, metaphorical warm blanket. You know, mine mm-hmm. was, mine was real. If it, it was real to me, you know, but, uh, that's when he catches us, you know, and I, I think sometimes it takes, it takes hardships for that to occur. You know, if I would have, if I would have lived the life that my dad did and I would have gone through Wichita state and gone through all my, my history or my, my accounting and finance, and I would have gotten a good job at the power plant, you know, I may have never been saved. So thank, you know, thank God that his plan for me was to travel the path that I did because Mm. now I can be eternally grateful for that. For sure. Okay, so we're going to find out what happens then after you get out of the hospital and you start getting into scripture, but we'll take a quick little break because you brought a gallon of water that you need to get some hydration going here because you've been talking a lot and (laughs) and you're kind of in training. And so hydration is very important right now. The Pop Around Podcast also brought to you by Clean AF. Clean Polish Protect specifically formulated to protect and beautify surfaces, including plastic, vinyl, rubber, and carbon fiber. Water-resistant formulation is safe for us uh, for use on gloss and matte finishes and makes the cleanup process easier by framing or forming a durable and uh, durable coating that repels mud, dirt, and debris. I, I really do know how to read. Apply and lightly buff <laughs> to a dry sheen. Perfect for all the power sports enthusiasts. Purchase online at cleanabsolutelyflawless.com or in-store at Dell's Power Sports in Grain Valley, Missouri. Um, I gave you plenty of time to take a drink and you didn't even take one I there. Know, I was I thought maybe that was going to give you a little, little break there after all the talking that you were doing. Well, after all your radio stuff, I thought we were going to go to a radio time. Well, yeah. See, the thing is, is that I, I didn't want to go back to use any of the old imaging cause I got this new imaging that's coming in. So Amen. we're in a transition period here to where I'm just going to do these, these reads live. Um, all right. So, uh, you're in the hospital for three days. You're coming, uh, you're coming, you're saved. Right. And, uh, what happens when you get out? So, uh, I get home and I basically tell my parents that I'm not doing any good, um, on the street and that I want to start serving my time. Right. Cause I know I'm going to get some, uh, yeah. something is going to happen. Like mm-hmm. th- I'm not going to walk away from this with nothing, you know, and I, man, I had some close calls and I had gotten some pretty good breaks. You know, I, I should have had a second DUI when I was in Lawrence. I drove, a mile down Iowa with sparks flying out from underneath my car and somehow didn't get a DUI. I got mm-hmm. arrested, didn't get a DUI. Um, which I think there was, there was some other stuff going on there. I think I'd been roofied while I was gambling and I don't know. So fast forward, I, um, I, 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 I decided to start doing my time. Uh, we ended up going to the big 12 basketball tournament and it was on a Wednesday because I'm turning myself in that Thursday. I'm, I'm, I'm rendering myself to the, to the marshals. And we go to the game, and I talk to my parents, and I see my nephews, and I see my sisters, and I see everybody. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm going to be okay. Like, this is okay, you know, and everybody's terrified, and I'm like, I'm good. Like, I really am. I'm good. 
so uh, I turn myself in and I start doing my time and I'm, I wait and, and my, my sentence comes up and they, they've, they finalize the charges that they're going to, that are going to stick and the other ones that are going to go. And I'm getting charged with distribution and I got sentenced to 60 months, uh, which is the mandatory minimum for, for distribution. And I start doing my time. Wow. So I start out in Leavenworth. I'm there for some time and, you know, God immediately starts putting people in my life to, to help me on my journey and to build my relationship with God. I'm trying, if you don't mind real quick, how old were you when you go in? 23. 23. You're how old now? I'm 20, I'm 33. So this was 10 years ago. Okay. Um, I need to grease that. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So God immediately starts putting people in my life to, uh, to help me out, you know, to, to understand the Bible, to understand, you know, what it means or what God's saying, you know, what God's saying, not only to us now, but what he's saying to his, what he was originally saying to his people then. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I just start walking this path and, Fast forward, I, I end up qualifying for RDAP, which is the Residential Drug Abuse Program in prison. I transferred from Leavenworth to Forest City, Arkansas, and I completed that program, and that program guarantees you a year of off your sentence and six months halfway house. Mm. So all of a sudden, my time is a lot shorter, right? Because mm-hmm. I qualified yeah. for this. And there's some God things that happen to, to, to make everything work out with that, but... um you know, I'm doing really well as is, this is the first time I've ever been free in my entire life and I'm behind prison bars. Hmm. That's a weird way to him, you know, like that's not where you're supposed to find freedom. Right. I mean, you know no. what I mean? Like I didn't say that correctly. Most people don't look at freedom by being in prison. Right. Right. Did you, um, had you ever been to jail before? Like for a DUI, yeah. for my DUI in But you'd never been like incarcerated to this level. So no, not even close. Were you scared? Like, because everybody's heard the stories like, well, better don't drop the soap, you know, and all those kind of stories like that. Were, were you, did you have any sense of fear because of the unknown going in there and the kind of crowd? Yeah, yeah of course. Absolutely. So what was the perception versus the reality? I mean, the perception is what you said, you know, right. it's the, it's the movie Shawshank Redemption right. style. Mm-hmm, yeah. Right. And it's, I mean, it's honestly, Ronnie, it's, it's kind of like summer camp for bad kids. Like everybody's just kind of in there hanging out and playing cards and playing basketball and kind of just, just getting by. I mean, and it's, it's rough and the food sucks, but you know, your perceptions become your realities. My friend, if okay. I'm perceiving life as some crap hole, then that's probably going to be how I view what's going on around me. Okay. You know, I'm looking at, like I've got this new grasp on life, mm-hmm. you know, I've got a new, I've got a purpose to live. Mm-hmm. I've got a reason to keep going. I've got, I've got something to look forward to. I have a job to do, you know, I have a job, mm-hmm. I have a job, mm-hmm. you know, God wants me. I, 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 you don't walk away from that accident, Ronnie. God right. had a specific for purpose sure. for me. And my job was to find out what that purpose was and then to thank him by fulfilling it. So I'm trying to get a better understanding of what it actually looked like in the pen. And you've kind of given me a 30,000 foot view of it, but I'm guessing you've got those people in there like you who are kind of redeemed and they're looking to change their life. And then you've got the people in there who feel like they're victims and they hate the world. And so you got the rough crowd and you got the good crowd. And, and I hear stories about sometimes uh, narcotics making it through security and into the penitentiary. So can you kind of give me and Jillian and everybody listening what that, what the actual truth is about being in the pen when it comes to those things I just touched on? Well, 
Um, sure. So, uh, you, you do, you have, you have, uh, you have a lot of different, um, groups. Uh, you have a lot of people in for different crimes. The nice thing about the feds is though, is that you don't have the same, you don't have the same variety of crimes that you have in the state. Like I'm not in there with rapists and, and you know, all this other stuff. Like the majority of people that are in the feds are in there for drugs or financial crimes. Okay. Hmm. You know, so you get your, you get your guys like, uh, I don't want to drop any names. Um, you get guys in there with big financial crimes, you know, the guys that had gone to the universities and done really well and then started their own firms and then embezzled or, you know, mm-hmm. the guy that was, I, I did time with the guy that was the banker for poker stars. Um, oh. He was one of my card partners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's ironic. <laughs> Would you like to expand right. on that story? <laughs> no, that's all right. Michael right. Vick spent time in Leavenworth, obviously. T.I. was at the same place that I was in Arkansas. Wow. Right. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you got guys that like me, that are in there for, you know, a couple grams of dope. And then you got guys like Darren Atkinson that embezzled a billion dollars from us Fidelis. Mm. I mean, and then you've got, you know, a lot of, uh, you get a lot of mix, a lot of mixed cultures and a lot of mixed everything else. But the majority of people in there are like, you've, you've really done something like you've, you have succeeded at messing up on a grand level. To mm-hmm. be in the feds, you know, we don't, you don't get the, I mean, you get knuckleheads, but you don't get knuckleheads like the state does. It's different, mm-hmm. different. Okay. okay. Right. So is there, um, narcotics that are getting into security or people Absolutely. using in the pen? Yeah. How, sure. how does that happen? I mean, are, are, are the people who is are working like security? Right. Are, yeah. That's what I want to know. I want to do it. I'm an ignorant fool when it comes to this. I know nothing other than what I see in a movie is, is it uh, there's gotta be some sort of conspiracy or something where, the people who are running security and running the penitentiary are in on something that they, they can't not know that there's drugs being used in their penitentiary. There was a 118 person indictment that went out on CCA before I left, like after I'd left. And the majority of them were people that worked there. Whoa. Right. I mean, think about it. Who's on the outside every day. Who, who has the opportunity to bring stuff in? I'm not going to, I'm not going to get super in depth, but uh, man, when you privatize the prison systems, Making the criminal justice system should not be a for-profit entity. And our prison systems are for-profit. CCA is for-profit. Okay. Well, that just rattled me a little bit. Um, Never really thought of it like that, but I guess uh, that's a rude awakening. You, but you, you were able to find yourself in a good circle of people that would keep you out of trouble as a former drug user and addict. Well, you know, and I think like, you know, Ronnie, it's not all black and white partner. I think a lot of, a lot of, so a lot of the guys that were in that group that were in the Christian groups and stuff like that were, uh, were like me, you know, they'd, they'd come from a spotted past, you know, these guys weren't all, you know, they didn't end up there being the lead singer of their, their church choir. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) right. I, uh. You know, and it was a battle, you know, because I, I, I fit in with a certain crowd a lot better than I did this crowd. I had a lot more in common, but this crowd had what I wanted. This crowd didn't. And you, you kind of had two choices. And this is, you want to, you want to break down really simply is you got two choices when you go to prison. You can either level up, find people that are really good at what you, what put you in there and get really good at it and make a lot of really good connections. Hmm. Okay. Right. Wow. Or you can make the decision that you're going to use that time to change your life. Okay. Right. And now, and, and there are people that, that, that do jewels kind of like you said, um, you go by jewels ever. 
Today I do. Yeah, no. Jillian. <laughs> Jillian. I'm going to retract Jill. that. I'm Jillian. Retract. Yeah, Jillian. Yeah. Um, there are people that want that that are that stay depressed, don't get out of their bunks, right. and they're just miserable the whole time. It's a pity party for a, right, whatever their sentence is. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. But I mean, it, it, if you're in there long enough, like that goes away. It just does. You don't have you. Eventually, Unless you'll get bored you with that. Unless you don't want out, because it, it would go back. I would think to the same thing you were talking about earlier of like, if if you're in jail and there are drugs accessible and you're feeling bad and you're like, well, this will make me feel better. And you know, like if, right. if you don't want to make a change. Right. 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 There had to have been a temptation. There's always temptation. There's always temptation. There's temptation every day in everything we do. You were before prison and all of this that, you know, comes to a head, you found your identity in that circle of people. Right. You, we've established that. Right. You have a literal come to Jesus moment. Right. <clears throat> and from there, it was pretty much cold Turkey. Right. That you are not no longer once you go into prison and you still see that circle of people and they're using in prison and you know that that generally speaking, you would gravitate to that. Right. But now you're surrounded by other uh, Christians and believers. And I mean, I'm just trying to I'm sorry if it sounds silly to ask, but I mean, I'm as a person who sometimes has issue with temptation, you know, like you, you never walked the, uh, over to the other side of the aisle. Ronnie wants to ask me if I ever got high while I was in prison. <laughs> did you ever get high in prison? The answer is yes, I did. Okay. A I lot? Did. No, no. It, it was, you know, it would, it, it would, temptation would get me, mm-hmm. you know, I would, I would smoke some K2. That was kind of the big one. They had smoke some, what? K2. You know what K2 is? I don't. Tell me what K2 is. K2 is like a, uh, a synthetic marijuana. Okay. Right. And then, uh, Suboxone made it in. That was an easy one to get in. Um, Suboxone is a. Uh, it's actually, it's a, it's an opioid. They use it for people that are coming off of opioids. Like it's a, it's a, and it puts you into immediate withdrawal if you take narcotics. Right. Mm. So, but you can take yeah. Suboxone and it gets you high mm. or bu- 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 buprenorphine is another one. Mm. Um, and those would make it in. And yeah, on, uh, the, I can think of a handful of times that I did get high while I was there. And the people that were in the prison that were, Christians that were really trying to change their life. Did they ever, I mean, did you have an accountability partner? I mean, what did that look like? Did they, I guess I'll just back up. Did you have an accountability partner in prison? Yeah. I mean, I had, I had several close friends that I would have, that I, I'm sure I talked to about it, but you know, I've, I'm really just trying to understand because this was an addiction that you had, and this was something where that filled your hole. Right. And now you're trying to fill this hole with what is supposed to be filled with, which is Jesus right, and right. Christianity, right? Right. But for some reason, the temptation is taking you back there. Was it, was it the, the after effect that after you used it, the sense of guilt and conviction, shame? Just crazy conviction. Okay. Crazy conviction. And the more you did it and the more worse you felt worse about you it, the more you didn't right. want to it feel was, like that right. again. So you, okay. Easy to separate then. Okay. Okay. Easy Fair to enough. separate then. Um, well, and, you know, I'd read this book called Spartan Up. So real quick for Ju- Julian, um, Jillian. Jillian, yes. like Jack and Jill. Jack and Jillian. You can even just say Jill. Jillian, Jillian, Jillian. I sometimes <laughs> just call her Jilly. Jilly, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jillian. Um, I had, so back to, back to the relationships yeah. from earlier in the story. Yeah. I'd gone through a string of really bad relationships and I was, you know, I was, I was heartbroken and, and I was in a bad way. And I, I talk about, you know, I, I talked to, to Ronnie a little bit about it and told him that, uh, you know, I, I'd 
been with all these girls that were like trying to steal my soul and voodoo me and everything else. And, and kind of while I was talking to him on the phone, I came to this profound realization that I had been with all these girls because they were like me. Mm. And that really, it kind of, it kind of changed my, my view of a lot of things. So, you know, I'd, I'd been in these relationships with girls that were, you know, untrustworthy and I thought they were cheating on me. I thought they were lying to me all the time. And I was the cheater and the liar mm. and the fake and everything mm. else, you know? Mm-hmm. So what would I expect? Right. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably, a lot of me is I'm, I'm pushing my, my attributes on these people because mm-hmm. it makes it easier for me mm-hmm. to, to do what I do. To justify. Right. Yeah, That's sure. right. And right. you learned this from reading the book Spartan Up? No, I learned this from our conversation last week. Oh, okay. Well, you were talking about, you started to read a book. Right, though. right, right. So, so, uh. So when I got to prison, like, I remember praying like, God, you know, you've, you've freed me in the darkest place. You know, you've given me, you've given me a light and you've given me a light to shine in in one of the darkest places. Like if you just put a good woman in my life, I can literally do anything. (laughs) Like just put a good woman in my life. So I prayed and I prayed and I prayed the whole time I was down, I'm praying. And, uh, so it's a year before I get out and I'm, I'm still in RDAP. I'm successfully completing RDAP and, I'm huge, like 310 pounds. And I'm like, I want to look good when I get out. Because if God's going to put this amazing, right, it's going to be, it's going to be something incredible. She's going to be, and I want to, I want to be ready. Was the reason for wanting to making that request. There's a lot of things that you could have requested from God. And that was the, that was the one thing that you really wanted. I want to know why. And was it because you spoke to earlier in our conversation about being a good dad? You know what? Yeah, I bet that did. I've, I've, you know, Ronnie, I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, like, you know, cause I can remember thinking like, I would never want to have a child with the person that I'm standing next to. Mm. Like that's the, or sleeping like, with, right. Yes. Like I, I could not imagine bringing up a kid with how I am now. Like mm-hmm. that's terrifying. Right. Cause I want them to have the same kind of childhood that I had. And I want sure. them to have the same kind of parents that I had, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be the kind of dad that my dad was to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I was not that guy and they were not that person. <laughs> you talked about a couple different things with the issue with being lonely, the having the loneliness and then having the, uh, the, the desire to be a good dad. Right. So what I'm trying to establish is where did the request for wanting a good woman in your life, that, that prayer, because it sounds like that you did have some, maybe is I'm just going to say this. You tell me if I'm wrong. Dependency issues. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So like you didn't feel whole if you didn't have attention from a woman. Right. No, prison was the first time in my life I'd been single. And since I was a junior in high school, mm-hmm. okay. know, it'd been, I'd always had somebody there and I, you know, I needed, I needed somebody. I always needed, I always had to have somebody there, you know, but, but prison and, and, and God changed that. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I knew no matter where I was, what I was doing, how alone I was, I always had God. Okay. You know, God was always there. Gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. But if you're going to, if your life's changing and you get out, you're, you know that you're not going to be alone once you're out. Right. You know, but I, I, you know, I, I, I was worried, you know, I had, I had irrational worries that, you know, I was going to be too old to have kids. And then by mm. the time I met somebody and, and put in that, that. Sorry, know, I don't mean to laugh at that, but probation. I just had two kids at the age in mid 
I'm 47, got two kids under the age of two. Right. <laughs> it's possible, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, be careful. You don't want to have kids at the age of 47. Anyway, I, I digress. Go ahead. Sorry, that's why I was laughing. I wasn't laughing at you. It's a long time before you're too old. Yeah. Basically is what he's saying. But, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in my, I'm in my mid, late to middle, late 20s. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like the kind of girl that I want is not going to be super impressed with my background. So oh, like there's going to be a point. long, mm. never thought of that. There's going to be a long probationary period. Mm. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be a long probationary period while I, uh, I reprove myself to the world that I'm, I'm somebody else. Okay. You know, cause Ronnie, I'm, I'm just, I don't know how your, how your, how your viewers and podcasts are with, uh, with colorful language, but I was a massive piece of shit. I was, dude. You're allowed to say that. I was. I was a huge piece of shit. I hated mm-hmm. who I was. Okay. And that's why I changed all the time. That's why I was a chameleon, always changing my colors. If I didn't like it, I'd get around a different crowd and I'd change my colors to match theirs and I'd fit in for a while. And then, you know, I, I just, you know, I was just a huge piece of shit. Okay. You know, I could, I would, I would lie or cheat or, or whatever to, to get what I wanted. To win. Right. To win or to, to whatever. There was no standard. There was no character, no ethics. I mean, it, it, it had just gone. It had gone at some point in time. It had gone. Okay. And I think I realized like that nobody has the, nobody can fulfill the traits that my, that I had in mind from my father that had been passed down to me. Like you can't like, yeah, you can be a loyal person, but you're not always going to be loyal. You can be a, you know, you can be a trustworthy, a trustworthy person can tell a lie, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, a man of integrity can take a shortcut. You know, I, I had, everything had been so black and white. Like, and now I'm, when I got into drugs, I was experiencing this massive gray area and I'm like, it's impossible. Nobody's, you know, nobody's perfect. Mm-hmm. Nobody. And I'll, I for sure will never be. And then that kind of opened up that, well, if I can say something to make things easier for me and you know, I can, I can justify it by saying it's for their, their better good, even though it's helping me out, you know what? It doesn't matter. But I, I, you know, I, I was a huge piece of shit. I know we're going to get to the transition here of asking for that prayer and that prayer being answered. But before we do, this is a question that keeps coming up in my head and I don't want to forget to ask it. So we're going to take a little sidebar and ask it. You grew up in a home where Christianity was not valued. In fact, it was frowned upon, right? Aside from your grandfather. I would say I was, I don't know about frowned upon, but it, yeah, I mean, because he's, you said that your dad viewed it as that was a crutch for people who couldn't solve their own problems. Correct. That sounds frowned upon to me. Yeah. Okay. So when you start now having spiritual moment and you become saved and now you're all in on Christianity and wanting to learn more, at some point, do you ever... I feel guilty asking this, but I am really curious. So I guess I'm going to ask it. Yeah. Do you ever have any resentment towards your family? Because you only know what you know growing up and that it was because of that influence that you, you didn't have the foundation of Christianity in your house. Did you ever have resentment because of that? I, I wouldn't say I had maybe later, maybe later down the line after, after three or four more life world wars that I had, but mm-hmm. not at the time at the time. I, I just, you know, and like I said, my parents had always been behind me on everything. Sure. If I would have decided to become a Christian at 16, they would have supported me fully in that, you know? Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that they would have participated. Uh, that doesn't mean that they would have, uh, you know, really, really pumped into like, Oh man, that's great. Good for you. I'm super proud of you. But you know, my parents were always going to support me in anything I did. And obviously this question is going to come up. So I'm just going to ask it where, where is your walk? How has it been? How, how has that influenced them? Uh, 
so we're, we're getting ready to get into the part of the story that's really good where we're actually going to talk about the star of the show. Um, it was actually my son, I think, that saved my parents. Okay. Well, let's get then to your prayer request of God bringing in a good woman in your life. So uh, fast forward, I, 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 I'm exemplary my last year. And uh, I read this book, Spartan Up, and it talks about ultra endurance races and just being gritty and living life uncomfortable. And it did some, it changed something in me, man. I'm like, you know, I am such a whiny butt. Like I can, (laughs) I can do so, like I'm looking at what these guys put their bodies through and like the mental toughness that they have to run the Iditarod on foot, you know, and, and drink, drink oil to try to get energy. Like, I mean, insane stuff. Oh. That's a thing. Not like motor oil, but like, okay. <laughs> like you know, vegetable oil. Okay. But I mean, you're just, yeah, yeah. trust me, it doesn't sit well. They, they oh. had problems. Yeah. Um, but when you're in a situation to where you have, you will literally do anything like to survive, you'll do it. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I start training and I decide like, you know, I could get out and I'm going to run an Ironman. So I'm running and working out like crazy. And I cut all this weight and like, I'm a, I'm a brick shit house. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, how long I'm, did it take for you to, and how much weight did you drop? 110 pounds in a year. Wow. Right. Which I just did an, a year and a half ago again. Wow. Right. It's brutal. Once again, 120 miles an hour in whatever direction I'm going. Yep. Like I'm a, okay. I'm a savage. Gotcha. I'm a savage. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm doing great. My parents come, they pick me up in four city. It's, it's fall of 2016. So it's been about three years and uh, they pick me up in Four City. They bring my dog Pumpkin, who's a red Labrador. Okay, she's my she's my girl, old Pumpkin, old Punk of Patiscumped. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Dad brings me all kinds of food and and all the stuff that I hadn't got to have for a long time. And you know, it's just and to be able to like truly embrace your father and mm. your mother, like to truly embrace them. You know, I was in, well, I was in Leavenworth and in CCA, man, you, uh, dude, you're, you're talking on a phone through glass and when you just want to hug your mom, like that's like you, what it, Ronnie, what it did was it showed me how simple life could be that I could be happy with nothing, Mm. which is something I never had before. Okay. You know, I'd always at any point in time. So my gambling, my gambling debt that got me into everything, I could have called my dad and he would wrote me a check. But my pride was too my my pride was too great. Okay, you know uh, all the rehabs, everything. Like Dad could have just wrote a check. Okay, it was that easy, right? Right. So I I never needed anything ever in life, you know, and that was a big part of keeping me away from God. The man that has everything, what does he need God for, right? Okay. Or the makes man, sense. That, the man that thinks. Well, I mean, it doesn't make sense, sense, but I see where you're what you're saying. Right. So I learned that I could be happy with nothing. So it, I, I, life got a lot simp- more simple. So I, uh, you know, I have all this stuff and and I've got my dog and, and I I get the opportunity to really just embrace my parents and spend time with them. And, um, and we drive back all the way to mirror, which is the federal halfway house at 25th in California in Topeka, Kansas. And I get out of the car and I shake my future wife's hand. Whoa. And we've been married for almost six years, six years in September. Okay. Nice. Why? Ooh. Why? Who was she? Why was she there? Let's talk about the director. So Taylor, previously Hawks, now Cantrell, forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Spoken with conviction. So I pull up and I see this stunning, stunning redhead 
standing outside and I'm looking at her like, Oh, like who is this gal? Like, I'm so glad that I showed up when I did. <laughs> and it turns out that she is in her senior year at Washburn. Okay. And she is doing like drug abuse counseling, like for her internship mm -hmm. in her senior year of college. Mm -hmm. So this exquisitely beautiful young lady takes my, does my intake and gets all my information and gets me set up and, uh, and gets me, gets me going. And she's, she works there. So I can remember like a week later. So she thought my dad was super cute because she's into old people. And, <laughs> and, uh, and how old is he? At this dad, yeah, well, at the at tw in 2016, right? So dad retired at 55. And uh, so he retired, he retired before I went in. And um, so he's in his 60s. 60, yeah, he, yeah, he'd have been 60s, 60 or yeah. something at the yeah. time. Okay. And, uh, she just, she <laughs> just wanted funny. to figure out what is old. No, like, cause I'm about 10 years from it, I guess. Yeah, anyway, the older, go ahead. The older, the better. Like sixties <laughs> okay. are cute. Like eighties are unbearably, like okay. unbearably cute. Got it. Right. Got it. Like cute aggression, cute. <laughs> so, uh, so they connect, right. They connect and, and which she, makes you memorable. Right. Exactly. And you know, I, uh, I, I knew right off the bat cause like I watched the other guys and like how they talked and uh, like they just hit on anything and everybody relentlessly and it got them nowhere. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So I, uh, I was just, you know, courteous and respectful and kind and, uh, you know, a, a gentleman. And, and I never, uh, it, it, I was just, you know, who I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I, prison gave me the opportunity to become the person I've always wanted to be. And it gave me the time to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I, all my character defects and all my, you know, being a, just a horrible liar and, 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 you know, all my getting angry over certain things and, and jealousy and pride and, and mm. regret and all these things that I could, I could let go of. I let go of. You said on the phone when we talked last week that when you saw her and you were getting ready to get, to go there, but I want to bring it back cause I thought it was pretty cool. And you saw her, you were obviously enamored by her physical beauty right. and you had told your dad before going in there that I was going to marry her. I yeah. Well, that was so it was a, it was about a week after and my parents were the only parents that came and visited me every week at the halfway house. Okay. <laughs> and she thought that was, you know, I'm an oddity. You know, I don't I don't fit in with everybody else that I'm around. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I my my background, my context is completely different. So like she saw how much my parents loved me and she saw like like the the family unity that we had. And, you know, I she really she really respected that and liked it. And like, it was a strange thing because most of these guys were in here and they didn't have anybody to come visit them. Okay. You know, and my parents were bringing up, you know, steaks and, and ribeyes to drop off for me and the guys so that we could watch the game and grill out at the halfway house. Okay. You know, like nobody, do, that doesn't happen. Okay. You know, they bring groceries up for the whole house and be like, yeah, whatever you guys want, you know, we got all this stuff, you know, enjoy. So, <laughs> so we, uh, you know, Taylor has, is, is anything but interested in me. Like she, she likes me and we're friend, we're friendly to each other, but she does not find me. Like, She's probably trying to separate professional with, you know, like I would imagine somebody who's in that position. Right. That's not where she's trying to find love. No, absolutely not. Like this is a smart girl. <laughs> like she didn't pray to God to bring her a convict. No, no. <laughs> right. No, no, absolutely not. Okay. That's a good question. Um, does she have a relationship with God? No, sir. Okay. She is not a Christian. She had gotten church hurt as a kid, church hurt when she was younger. And, uh, 
she just never really looked back. Like she'd been into youth camp, you know, youth group and, and she did the, the summer camps and she went to different stuff with her cause she loved this pastor. His name's Derek, uh, Derek Slack. She really loved this pastor out in Hoxie, Kansas. But after their relationship, you know, after she moved away, like their relationship dwindled and you know, mm. she just kind of let it go. Okay. Okay. So wait, she's still not a Christian, not a Christian at this moment. Gotcha. No, 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 no. At this very moment. At the moment in the yeah. story where they meet. Very, at, in the story. Very Christian. No, at this point in the story, no. At this point in life, yes. That's what I... Okay. So, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, so um, <laughs> at some point, you you get her to find interest in you beyond just being someone who's at the halfway house. Right, so fast forward. Um, I, I've got a good How job. How far are we fast forwarding? About a year. Okay. So I... Uh, I have uh, I'm out of the halfway house and I'm off, you know, I'm, I'm still on probation, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm no longer in BOP custody. Okay. Right. Because up until then, like I had an ankle, an ankle monitor on. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I invite her to come out to my house and, um, well, she reaches out to me on Facebook and she says, you know, Hey, Cantrell, how you doing? Just wanted to check on you. And, um, I'm like, holy crap, like, what are the chances of this? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I'm great. You know, you should come out and hang out sometime and, and see my parents and, you know, see Pumpkin and it, basically anything I could do to see this. Right, for, right. Sure. <laughs> for sure. For right. sure. Not come see me. Come see everybody that you. That yeah. you like. Right, right, right. right. And uh, <laughs> she came out and, you know, we really, we really kind of hit it off. And I, uh, I kind of told her like. You know, I'm, I, I'm into you. Like I, I like you and I would like to go out on a date with you sometime. So we have a date the following week. And she said, yes. Yeah, she did. Did she stutter at that? Like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe a little bit, okay. maybe a little bit, because I don't think that she, like I said, she wasn't interested. Mm -hmm. you know, she was not interested. Not in even up until the point where you had asked her out. So she would just be like doing it to maybe give it a try. Or right. So I had one of her friends. She surely told you. Like she said, like, I wasn't interested at you at all in any capacity until we actually went on the date or after right. the date. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think so. I really do. I'll check. Honey, remind me to talk about this. <laughs> remind me when I get home right. to, to reinform me. But be gentle. And, and make sure you get back to me because we're going to have to come back on this podcast and give everybody the answer to it. I digress. Go ahead. Huh. So I, uh, man, I, I, I've got it. I've got the world by the short and curly's brother. And I've got this girl and I'm killing it at work and I'm, I'm, a am in great shape. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still training. I've decided I'm going to do Austin 70.3 and I'm going to go crush this Iron Man. And you know, just I'm doing it. What are you, you doing know? for work at this point? Uh, I'm working for Ernest Spencer medals. Okay. Right. So I started out there with, with Neil, uh, the owner with an ankle monitor on. And, um, when I left a couple of months ago, I was a senior manager. Right. Wow. I started out as a temp making $9 an hour and the owner of the company saw something in me nice. and walked me through the entire company to become a senior manager. Okay. Nice. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, no. So, uh, I, I, but either way, I've got a good job and Taylor and I really hit it off and we immediately move in together. And then, you know, we, we decide, you know, I proposed to her a couple months after that and we get married. So from the time you go on a first date, you're, you're engaged two months later. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe three or four months later. Not okay. very long. Okay. Wow. Not very long. And how, and then how long did you guys stay <laughs> engaged more. before you get married? A few more months. It wasn't wow. very long. It wasn't very long. Wow. Right. 
I mean, September 30th of 2017, we got married. Okay. Wow. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, wow. we, we, we are hot and heavy and we have, we, we are rocking and rolling and, um, she still drinks, you know, she drinks and her friends drink and, and, uh, when you say drinks, like just casual, right. like, okay. Right. Like, I didn't know if she had a problem in the past or I something. I think she had when okay. she was in high school. I think she did. Cause she would like drink to blackout and okay. Right. Okay. So, uh, but that's not, that's not the case anymore. Gotcha. But she drinks with her friends and, and that doesn't bother you at all. Not to start with. Mm. but this, uh, this beautiful gal does not understand. Like she's read the books and she's read the text and she's, you know, talked to the people, but she doesn't understand true addiction. Mm. Right. And I don't care how much education you have until you've walked that path. You have no idea. None. I bet. So, you know, the problem is, and, and once you get out of meetings and you quit, you quit feeding into the things that keep you sober, like you start taking steps back towards mm-hmm. what got you there in the first place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was under the impression like, you know, after five years of not drinking, man, I'll, uh, then I'll take a drink. Mm-hmm. Right. I'll have made it long enough. You know, my whole life's changed. I've got God now. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to be, you know, You'll think like, you can handle right. It. I can yeah. handle it. I yeah. can handle a drink. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, we start drinking on occasion together when she has friends over or when we're doing stuff and it, it stays really, you know, I'm really good. You know, 99 out of a hundred times, man, I'm a perfect gentleman when I drink, but there's going to be that one time that I'm going to, I'm going to drink too much. And then my judgment is going to, is going to go to a place where I'm, I can do things that it, I would never do if I hadn't drank. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause I was never the classic alcoholic, man. I was the weekend warrior and I yeah. didn't, well, and that's what I believed. Right. Yeah. Uh, now I know like I'm a, I'm a complete alcoholic. Okay. Like, I'm allergic to alcohol. Gotcha. Every time I drink it, something horrible happens. Okay. Or will happen eventually. Yeah. Right. So, um, so we, you know, we start drinking and, and partying together a little bit, you know, and, uh, I, uh, I end up getting back on meth. Mm. What? Right. And I've, so like I've, I started at this company, I'm doing fantastic. You know, the, you know, the managers out on the floor promoted me. Like I went from making $9 an hour as a temp to being hired on full time with a big raise within another couple months. I got another huge raise. You know, I'm in really good shape. I had, uh, I, I, we, when we got married, I ended up not going and doing the Ironman cause it was like the same weekend as, is when we were going to do our thing. And I was not going to live with my wife having me like miss our honeymoon so I could go. I was going to say Iron Man honeymoon. That sounds real fun. So I started training to fight, right? I just, I, one of my friends had invited me up to a gym. He's like, Hey man, like this is a lot cheaper than, you know, a $2,500 bike and all this other crazy stuff. And you know, the ticket to do it was like 600 bucks. So, you know, and I had to burn it and 600 bucks was a lot of money. And, uh, it's it's still a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, right. I, uh, I went up there and I fell in love, man. Like 90 days after that, I had my first fight and Taylor hated me fighting. Okay. I got to stop you there because now I need some clarity. Time, time for you, you again? Some point you, 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 your life is great. You guys start, you know, kind of casually drinking. Then right. it kind of leads to a few parties here and there, which then basically opens the door to you using meth again. Um, <laughs> how crazy. does that happen? Like did somebody at work use meth? Like how did oh. meth get back? introduced to you did you go seek it and were you hiding it from taylor i so we had 
done cocaine together. You and Taylor. Yes. Okay. We had done cocaine together because basically it got to the point where like I'm doing the fights, you know, on an amateur level and I'm training, but like I, I want, I want to do more. Right. And like we, when I started having a few drinks again, I started going back to the bar and playing pool again. Mm. Right. Mm. And it wasn't like to the same level that I had before. Cause my vision was n- not close to what it used to be. You know, I can't, I can't see, I can't see the out like I used to. I can't see my shot like I used to, you know, I've, 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 I've had to change from, from lining up under my right eye to my left eye. And it's a million different things, but I'm no longer an ace. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, I start getting back into that and I bump into, you know, somebody that's got some powder and we do Coke. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, you know, we do it once and then a month later we do it again. And, and I, I'm basically like, you know, I want kids and, and before we started any of this and basically I was like, Hey, if we're not going to have kids, I want to have fun. (laughs) She's like, okay. Okay. Well, she had no idea that when I said I wanted to have fun, it meant that I was going to drag her through hell with my addiction because Somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew that. I I knew that. I knew it. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew it. But I'm just a glutton for punishment. And uh, so, did you fall away from Christ then? Oh yeah. I not, mean, you, you had. Know, I didn't. I wasn't not saved. Like I still had it, but I just right. didn't put any. I didn't put any. I I was trying to hide. Trying so to many hide good God. things were happening in your life that you didn't feel the need for jesus anymore right yeah, like yeah. i mean not not intentionally it's right. just it's easy we've all done it you know or right. things are going good and we get out of our practice of praying every day right. glorifying staying him every day word. staying in the word and so you probably that's probably how you fell out because everything was kind of lining up and going in a good direction right when you quit doing the maintenance steps yeah no and, and I'll, I'll i'll tell this and i'm going to put y'all onto some game right now you figure out what your maintenance steps are in life on a daily basis and you complete your maintenance, your daily maintenance, and you will always be in good shape, Mm. but you got to figure out what those are. You cannot be aimless. You have to be direct. You got to know what you want and you got to know how to get there and figure out what you have to do to maintain that balance. Okay. And if you take your maintenance steps every day, discipline, right. That, that eliminates all the, man, all the crazy mental health stuff that I have. You know, I've been diagnosed bipolar, manic depressant, attention deficit, you know, uh, all, all this crazy stuff. Discipline is the answer. Okay. If I discipline myself, because I, I look at what causes me anxiety and I look at what causes me to be depressed. And generally speaking, it's when I don't have anything to do. And idle hands for me are the, definitely the devil's workshop, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So I, I keep myself busy, but I, I do my maintenance steps while I quit doing my maintenance steps. Okay. Okay. Well, let's get back into the story then. Right. Sorry for to stop you and to get clarification there. Right. You, so you, um, I guess then you're doing Coke together, I think is where we left off. Right. And we've taken a trip to Texas and that's, uh, that's where, that's where I, I, they didn't have any, the, the gal that I met at the bar didn't have any Coke. So she had speed. So I got speed mm. and I was hammered drunk and you know drunk is the drunk is the uh drinking is that perfect drug because what it gives you is it gives you the well i was drunk Mm -hmm. well why'd you cheat well i was drunk well why'd you why'd you do coke well i was drunk well why didn't you make it to work in the you know i was hung over you know drinking Mm -hmm. being drunk gives you that 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 excuse it's the excuse drug right Mm -hmm. you know because that's that's when you're allowed to make poor decisions because people make poor decisions when they drink yep right right um so I did, man. I did. I used meth there and, uh, 
and I, I actually, man, I think I told my wife it was Coke too. I do. Man. But, uh, but what are you, you're deep in thought right now. What happened there? Well, I never really thought about, I never, I've, I've never really thought about it, but, uh, dude, how big of a piece of shit do you have to be to lie to your wife about drugs? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I just, anytime, anytime I get off, anytime I'm off the beam, Ronnie, mm-hmm. it's, I turn into that, I turn into somebody that I don't want to be, that I'm not. Yeah. So how do you resurrect yourself? Um, so, uh, we get home and I am rapidly declining and I have, I've been promoted. Like I'm doing exceptionally well at work. They a position opened up in the office. I moved up from the floor. You know, they, t- they gave me a shot because I had a degree, you know, Neil's dad had struggled with alcoholism. It killed him. So like Neil knew where I was coming from. He understood. And like, he sees this hungry kid that, that wants to work and is smart and that picks stuff up fast and that is always willing to go the extra mile and, you know, willing to do what nobody else is willing to do. And he gives me the shots. Like anytime something opens and I'm interested and he thinks I have the ability, go Cantrell. You got this. Okay. So I've got this great job and, you know, me and Taylor, Taylor doesn't want to have kids yet. So we, we, you know, we start drinking and, and partying together a little bit. And, um, I, I, I used on that, on that trip that we had and I came back and I kept using and I didn't tell her. Mm. Mm. So some, so did she find out? Um, I think she knew, man. I think she knew. I mean, cause she would, she would question me on it all the time. She's like, you've got to be on drugs. Cause you know, I'm just not me and I'm, I'm using all the time. Well, and isn't this her job too? Like her job is, is in the rehab counseling or that, that was what she was doing as. Yeah, did she keep job? that job through your guys's, you know, courtship and no, marriage? No, 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 no. Oh, okay, no. So okay, she okay. had left there. She had okay. left there and she was working for Lifehouse Child Advocacy Center. Okay. Right. And, and that had a lot to do with it too, because you know, what she'd seen, what she saw at work every day was gruesome, gruesome, man. I can only imagine. I mean, you know, when all you deal with every day, like you have these kids come in and they do an interview, they do their interview with the SVU and they talk about how their uncle or their dad or Mm. somebody molested them and how it's been going on. And then Something may happen, something may not happen. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. But you're seeing the darkest possible things in life, the most heinous things in life. And that's your job every day. And I don't care who you are or how strong your soul is, that is going to have an impact. Mm-hmm. That's her career still? No. No, she works for the KDOC, Kansas Department of Corrections. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. And her boss okay. loves me. Okay. So, so she knew something was wrong. She would question you. Right. You would just deny i would lie and i am man i'm a good liar and that's the worst thing ever but i i am i'm a good liar so something must have come to a head so so i thought that she was one of these demon girls and that i had gone through some like she had pulled the old double bluff on me and that i had missed this this whole time and that she was working for the devil and this is this is me under meth right this is this is what meth makes me okay okay um and, uh, you know, we didn't have our relationship. Uh, you know, she wasn't a Christian and this is, she was one of those whatever. And, um, 
So you're feeling victimized. Right, dude. And I kick her out. I kick her out. I kick her out. Yeah. How long are you married after? We've been married for about a year. Maybe. No, it'd been longer than that. 18 months, maybe two years. I can't remember. Okay. But, um, yeah, man, I take everything that is hers in our home and I put it out in the driveway in about two hours. Oh no. Right. Right. And she is, she's beside herself. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, uh, because she, not to spoil, but she's not a demon girl, right? No. Okay. Okay. No, she's not. <laughs> so she was just a real girl, right? That was like just and, heartbroken right. that you. Well, had I mean, we don't her know out. yet. It's time, time will tell, Jillian. Time <laughs> right, will tell. Right. Right. But at this point, she still hasn't come to Jesus, right? Correct. And okay. I'm still fairly convinced that she's she's not. But <laughs> we'll we find know. out. We wink, know. wink. Nudge, nudge. Don't he's a Taylor. Down. He's joking. Right. Part two. Okay. No. Um, so, yeah. so she's kicked out. Where does she, she go back home to her family or where does she go? Yeah. So she, I think she stayed with a friend for a couple of days and then she got an apartment like not too far from her, her parents' house, her mom's house. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so she's living there and I am, um, I'm running amok. I, uh, so you're back in the mud back, right back in the mud, right back in the mud. Now Damn. I'm not, I'm not ever going to like have more than what I'm going to use on me. You know, I'm not, you know, I've got a good job. Mm -hmm. So like if I wanted to, I could carry this for as long as I could be okay at work because I got, I got paid with, man, I'm making more money than I know what to do with. I can remember when I started making 15 bucks an hour, like I can remember thinking like, man, if I could just make 15 bucks an hour, I'll be set. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and like, I'm, I'm making double that, you know, and, uh, I'm doing, I mean, for me, like for a simple person that learned how to be happy with the bare necessities, like I'm killing it. Sure. Um, so yeah, we. So you're up. not necessarily going from zero to 120 miles per hour with this being in the mud again. No, okay. No. But um, I uh, I did, man. I I started seeing other women, and I did. I I I cheated on my wife. You know, we were still married at the time. Like we were we were separated, but we were still married. And I I did, man. I cheated on my wife, mm. and um, I start like I'm just. You know, my family can tell that, that I'm not myself again. And it comes up that, that my parents find out that I'd used again and it was really bad, Mm. you know, and I'm like, this isn't going to stick, you know, and everything else. And what eventually ended up bringing me out of it. Um, Taylor calls me one day out of the blue and she's like, you know, Hey John, like, I know you're not happy and I know you weren't happy with our marriage, but would you ever want to maybe go to church with me? What? Wow. She had, that had been the worst thing that ever happened to her. And she didn't have anything humanly possible that could help her. So she turned. That was her moment. That was her turn. Did she have a friend or somebody who was able to help her get started in that walk? Or was it kind of like you dropping to the knees and just saying, wrap me in a warm blanket? Taylor, remind me to ask you that tonight when I get home. <laughs> I need you to help me with my story here. Okay. Next I ask guest, a lot of questions. Next guest here, Taylor. Right. <laughs> right. A, oh, I bet you she could tell some stories. Bro, Taylor's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> she and she's this might have to be a part two with John's wife, Taylor. Okay. Oh, so dude, uh, Taylor, like, you got to realize, so... I knew that God had put like, and that was, that was what was so wrong is cause like I prayed for this woman, God put her in my life. Right. Like I felt so betrayed. I felt so betrayed by God. Like you put this woman in my life. You let me walk into this trap. Like you S O B like, I cannot believe this. Like I waited, I did all this. I've given my life to you yeah. and this is how you repay me. 
oh, by man. letting this happen. Mm. Like I'm your boy. Come on, yeah. man. I'm the yeah. prodigal. Yeah. And, uh, I really did, man. It, I, I got, it, it hurt. And, uh, so fast forward, she, she invites me to go to church and something just clicked inside of me. Like something changed, you know, it took time to regain. And like, you know, I, I came clean about everything that had happened and we talked about it and, uh, you know, it was hard and it was hard for her, you know, and did you guys go to therapy or anything? Like yeah, so counseling? We, yeah, we did. We went to Christ first Christian counseling. Um, but we actually did that before we split, you know, she was going to a Christian counselor with me before she was a Christian. And, okay. uh, but I don't, but something changed. She invited me to go to church. Um, I decided like, Hey man, I'm just, I'm done. I'm done using. And I just, I just stopped and I got back into training because like the requirements to train for fights are so crazy. Um, like you don't have, you don't have time. And like, if you use or drink or anything else, like when you're training for a fight, like it makes you miserable and mm -hmm. you don't want to train. Mm -hmm. right. right. I'm not going to go in there and spar and get my ass kicked. Like with these monsters, <laughs> like after I'm all hung over, right. there's no right. way. In the same way that you can't eat junk and right. go do exactly. the same thing. You have to take care of yourself. Right. So yeah. I, I, uh, I booked myself a fight, uh, with Sh Shannon Woodward got me on a card in Lawrence. Um, and it was for an MMA fight against this monster. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Taylor comes to the fight with me, um, or she, she's at the fight and like, you know, we're, we're talking a lot more and I'm going over to her apartment and like having dinner and we're, you know, we're, we're friendly again. And, um, I start, you know, I start talking to her about, you know, what I'd done, uh, while we were separated and, and everything that had happened. And, um, you know, she forgave me. Like she did. She forgave me. And it wasn't like overnight either. You know, it took time and it took a, it took, mm -hmm. it took a lot of time to rebuild that trust. Um, but she did, man. She, she wanted to be, she, she wanted what we had back and she knew that it was right. And she knew that I was the one. And, um, we, we started. And you had to have been re-energized a bit by her new, her new relationship with the Lord. It changed everything, man. All of a sudden, all of a sudden she was, there was no way you can't be both. It was a paradox, right? She can't be this demon girl. And have been saved. It doesn't yeah. exist. They can't exist together in the same Correct. sense. Correct. Um, so I, I, I knew I was wrong. I knew that I was wrong. It was, that was, if I say that was the switch happened, really what it was, was that was a moment I knew I was wrong. When you took accountability and owned your problems. Right. 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 And then I, I, uh, you know, as I started getting wiser, the more days I had away from, from using the more I, I started to realize like John, you're the one who's the liar. Uh, there's nobody, you know, and I blamed her. I blamed her for getting back into it. She made it okay. Right. In my mind, you know, when she told me like, Hey, you can, you can have, you can have one drink. You know, she had no idea what my, what my addiction looked like. She had no idea that one is one is too many and a hundred's never enough. She doesn't know what that means. Mm. Right. She never lived that. Yeah. She wasn't really trying to undermine you. No, right, right, no. Right. But I took it when at the time I took that personally, like you're the reason why I'm using meth. You're the reason why I'm drinking. Again. And, that's, and you're thinking God's a greater power. Why would you even put somebody in my life that wouldn't understand me? Right, right, right. Wow. But 2020 hindsight. That's how he saved her. Oh, never thought of it like that. Right. You're right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because that was her lowest moment. I'd had mine that brought me to him. She had hers that brought her to him. That's incredible. You chose to get, you were talking about doing the Ironman races. Right. And is that where the John Ironman Cantrell yes. comes from? Okay. That well, was, come on, Ironman. I, I, I had to make sure. Um, 
but where the question really gets going is you stopped doing the Ironmans because of the, the cost right. of being involved in that. And you were purposely seeking out some sort of physical structure, some sort of physical um, routine like boxing, because that is what kept you out of having the freedom. And then when having the freedom, your interest in wanting to use substances. Right. Or, or play pool. Or play pool. You know? Gamble. You know, either yeah. one, okay. you know, I, uh, I, uh, I didn't, if I'm, if I'm not, if I have to be at the gym between this time and this time, I can't make it to league that night. I'm not going to come and shoot pool and drink beer. Yeah. You know, if I, if I can't, if I, you know, I don't want to drink beer and then go in and train. So I would book every time I would gain too much weight. Um, and you know, weight had a lot to do with the, with the meth in the first place and why I stayed on it. Every time I'd get sober, I'd put on 50 pounds and I'd, I'd, you know, I, what, how I view myself and my body, you know, I'd, uh, I'd be like, man, I'm a slob. Like, cause eat, food would become my addiction right after eating. Well, I'm hopeful or, that the, sorry, us right knowing this. each other is going to keep us in contact more often. But if for whatever reason we lose contact and I come across you in a year and you've gained 50 pounds, I should be concerned that maybe you're on meth drugs, again. Drugs are next, Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> drugs are it, next. Don't let it, don't let it happen. We'll be accountable, Ronnie. Yeah. No, no, but seriously, because when we're going through and we've got so much more to cover and we don't have a lot of time left, but I want to, uh, I want to get to this before we get into your son. Right. Um, Boxing is not going to last forever. No. Right. No. Like it's, it's you're again, how old? 30, 33, 33, you know, like years. what is what? Right. So are you scared? I mean, do you have, do you have something in mind? Are you just giving it up to God? And then he's going to put something in your life. That's going to be able to give you that. I'll call it a distraction or purpose that will keep you out of going back. I mean, because you've gone back and forth so many times. Right. I, like I'm just, do you know the answer to that? Have you ever heard of Andy, Andy Frizzelli? No. 75 hard, first form. Mm -hmm. 75 hard, I've heard of that, mm -hmm. yeah. Corey and I actually I, talked about that after your boxing match. I stay hard, Ronnie. I stay hard. Okay. I do. I stay hard. I do 75 hard. All the time? Yeah. I'm, I've got nine days left, bro. Nine days. Then I'm going to have some ice cream. <laughs> and a, and a, Just and keep a, it to ice cream, pop, all right? And a pop. <laughs> Just one pop. One soda pop. Um... But seriously, yeah, no, I, uh, I'm sure my coach will find a new and improved ways to torture me and I'm probably going to get back into the ultra marathon stuff, dude. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. You know, I'll cut, you understand I'll, why I'm asking, right? Because yeah, no, it's I because always, I'm concerned for you after right. hearing all the times you've gone back and right. forth. And the thing that kept you leveled right. was, was some sort of physical right. foundation right. structure. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I, I have to have that. That will always be part of my life. So I'll probably get back into ultra marathons, man. Okay. But you also got to realize like, so I, st I'm, I actually, I just signed the letters of, uh, articles of incorporation yesterday for my 501 C three nonprofit Topeka youth boxing association. Oh, oh that is that. cool. Congratulations. That's awesome. And, and uh, what's the, so it's a 501 C three. So give us what that really means. Like I know what a 501 C three means, right. but I mean what the, what the organization means. Right. So, uh, I want kids that are on the street and that can't afford um, boxing or karate or, or any, they can't afford the, the normal things to be able to have an affordable place to where they can learn to direct and focus their energy for something good. Okay. Right. <laughs> and I have used martial arts as a mental health solution for so long. 
I want other people to have access to that. So Ronnie, I've always been one of those people like when I get something good, I want to share it with everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which makes me a, you know, a a decent evangelist or something (laughs) bad or something bad. That's no, but that's true. Yeah, absolutely true. That's what made you good at selling drugs. Right. It is. Anyway, just sorry. I don't. I didn't mean to put a negative <laughs> spin we, on this. But you're just good. You're well, good today, that you just Ronnie, are a sharing guy. Ronnie's playing the role of the wet blanket today. <laughs> so you had the warm blanket. He's the wet blanket. Deal. Uh, Let me just piss in your Cheerios wherever I can, <laughs> buddy. If I'm on fire, you can use whatever you want to put me out. No, no, no. Okay, all right. So, but anyway, you you're you're wanting to share this wealth and this this knowledge and this you know this experience that you had. Use this platform to inspire and encourage others. I want kids that are looking down roads that I've walked. Yeah. To see my, to see the exit sign that I'm, that I'm hopefully building for them. Well, that is great. Congratulations on doing that. And, and, uh, do you have a website for that? No, no. Do you know what it will be? Uh, I would, I would go ahead and do we know what we're going to call it? We're going to call it to It's Topeka youth boxing association. Okay. How about com? Okay. Well, what my point is, is that in the podcast world, this episode is going to live out there for maybe people to listen to two years down the road. And so what I want them to be able to do is to search something that where they can eventually find the website if you don't already have it. So Topeka Youth Boxing Association. Association. Right. All right, fantastic. But, you know, follow Iron Man Cantrell. There you uh, go. Follow Iron Man Cantrell and, and John Cantrell on Instagram. John the Iron Man Cantrell on, on, on Facebook. And uh, you'll have stuff up there. I'll is have it stuff because up. You'll yeah. have it updated. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to open book as much as I can. Let's, let's move forward then. You and your wife are able to reconcile and, and then eventually you're blessed with a son. So we get baptized together. Oh, okay. Aww. Yeah. Let's get to that. Get That's bat- important. Yeah, man. We do. We, uh, we start. So it's, you had not been baptized yet. I had, man, I got baptized in prison, but I wanted to do it again with my wife. Okay. Yeah. Sharing that with her. I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to have that experience with her. That's cool. Okay. So we're at this time, we're part of a home church and, um, we're, you know, we, we decide we want to get baptized together and they're going to do it there. So they literally fill up like one of those old horse troughs mm-hmm. with water. And it was like yeah. 40 degrees outside yeah. and the water was like 40 degrees. Yeah. And they say uh, that's good for you. Oh, it's great. No, I do yeah. an ice bath almost every day. Yeah. That's what I've heard. It's good. Anyway. It's miracle. Um, so we, <laughs> you know, I get in and, and, uh, and we get baptized together and it's like you're, we're standing in the water and it's freezing and we get put under the water. And when we come up, it's just like completely warm. We weren't cold at all. It was one of the craziest. It was, it was the exact same feeling that I had uh, when you dropped your time. Right. Warm blanket. Right. Well, Holy right. Spirit again, huh? It sure was. Yeah. And she was the same way. And, and how long did they go- got baptized that day? Had the exact same experience. It was incredible. How long ago was that? So Cooper, from today, uh, as we're recording this on whatever it is, March, what is it? The 10th? Uh, eighth. Eighth. Sorry. This would have been about the same time three years ago. Okay. This would have been, yeah, close to that. Oh, right before the world shut down. Right. You no, know, literally right before and literally as the world was right sh- before, shutting down. Yeah. Never thought right. of that. Yeah. So one of my friends that was there that baptized us, uh, his wife was having trouble passing her nursing exam. So we took them out to eat and we prayed for her to pass her nursing exam. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the next week she passed. Hmm. So they wanted to repay the favor. So they took us back to the same restaurant and they prayed for us uh, and we wanted to be able to conceive. So were you having troubles with that? Well, we just started trying, mm-hmm. um, actively <laughs> trying, <laughs> like aggressively, trying. aggressively <laughs> trying. Oh, there's so many ways we could be taking this. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so uh yeah we uh so we asked him to pray for us and the next week we find out that taylor's pregnant in Aww. fact she sent me wow. the picture of my face the other day and it was it was it was before i had gained 100 pounds but i had already started gaining quite a bit of weight uh because covid and taylor's pregnancy we decided that we were just gonna like throw down and have a good time yeah, yeah. there it is man so oh that was crazy so i was actually at the we were at laird Noller. And um, sorry, you can't yeah, see. It's yeah, me yeah. holding the old swizzle stick. Actually, what I, the swizzle stick? Right, the old swizzle. You stick. You know what a swizzle stick is? Oh my gosh, it's so funny you're talking about a swizzle stick because we talked about this on the Heartland Waterfowl podcast called Behind the Blind. Okay. Boy, we're really taking a detour here. <laughs> a swizzle stick is a raccoon penis. Really? You didn't know this? No, I'm thinking of like the swizzle sticks to mix your drinks. Though, though there's actually, oh my Wait God. Wait a minute. Why, why just, would anybody I've be just, holding I've a just taking. Penis? I've just taken this down a very different. Huge rabbit. This is supposed to be about John Cantrell and his life and, and his And child. his sweet baby. And now we're talking about a raccoon penis. Okay. Anyway, we said swizzle stick. If you, it's, there, this is an actual thing. I'll just say this. People who like trap coons or okay. do fur harvesting, yep, yep, like yep. typically you would get money for the actual raccoon hide. Right. Now the price of the hides are down. But if you go on to Amazon and you type in swizzle stick, what they do, these people, is they will actually take the bone, which is the penis, and it's got this very weird shape and thing, and people use it as, they'll put it on their desk as a conversation piece, or they will use oh it as a, as a drink mix. Uh, oh, okay. And they call it the swizzle stick. Anyway, so when you said swizzle stick, I was actually well, thinking you were talking about the literal raccoon penis, but you're just you talking just about a plastic straw. Uh, right. Weird. <laughs> Weird. Julian, that's that's terrifying. Welcome to the Paparon Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> so where I you would... could just never know what we might be talking about. Anyway, let's move on from let's that. Get back to yes. So your COVID time, world shut down, quarantine. Let me see the picture. Send me that up. picture so we can put it in the video portion of this. Uh, not you don't have to do it now, but. Oh, text it to you. me so i'll put it up there i got you yeah um so i'm at the dealership and i uh i'm in there doing something on my car or i'm getting something done and it's like a brand new car with like ten thousand miles on it and like i am not happy and like they knew like and i'm this i'm a pretty big dude like mm -hmm. and i'm in there and i'm not happy with anybody mm -hmm. and like when it comes to sales like there's only two outcomes like i'm either we're either gonna tie or i'm gonna win mm. right yeah like yeah like that's how it works. You're going to get what you want. Right. Yeah. When it comes yeah. to sales and business, like we're either going to tie or I'm going to win. Okay. Um, Jared Thoman special right there in quote. Uh, <laughs> so we, uh, we're sitting there and Taylor is like waiting for the right time. And I'm having this horrible day and I've had this horrible day at work and I'm pissed off about my car. And, uh, she's like waiting for this right time to tell me that she's pregnant and so she's just like, well, I guess I can't think oh of a better gosh. time than now. And I had this whole thing planned and you ruined it because you're being such a J.A., such a jack wagon. <laughs> yeah. So she hands it to me and like, I'm not even paying attention. I take it and I'm like, you know, just fuming on the inside. And I, I don't even notice it at first. And then like I look back and I'm just like, whoa. Like, Let oh. me see the picture. Oh, man, it was nuts. Did you or did you lose it already? No, I got it. Let me see that. Oh, dude, look how big I was. That's me at like 270. Oh man. Yeah. You are kind of fat. Yeah. Dude. No, <laughs> I was, I was, I was, I was just fat. kidding. No, dude, that is awesome. That's cool. We'll send that to me. We'll so make that sure was when easy. that was March still. Well, here, let's just, uh, dude, let's do the, it has the, it has the stamp, right? It doesn't have the stamp. She's oh, texting it, it to me. Oh, yeah. But yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, 
almost spring. We'll yeah. just guess it's around yeah. spring. So she's pregnant and we're going to have this awesome baby and he's going to be the <laughs> coolest. And he's going to Are be- we still in 2020? Yeah. Yeah, right? 2020. Okay. Yeah. All right. So right after the world shuts down. Right. How, so before I'm going to ask a question because I know this is a side tour, but did, how did you respond with all of the, you know, because you're probably not going to a gym. You're not going into these public gyms. Everything's shut down. Well, I know you swell, but were you able to stay disciplined and away from drugs? Yes. Okay, yes, good. Yes, I was. Good, good. Yeah. Um, well, when I had, all of a sudden, I've got this new reason, man. Yeah. When you're, like, yeah. before you have kids, and this is this is the truth, at least this is how I feel, man. Like, nothing in my life mattered before I had kids. Mm-hmm. Nothing. It does. Nothing really mattered. Changes a lot for sure. It finally makes you, or at least for me, it made me show me how much of a selfish prick I can really be. (laughs) Big time. You know? Oh, and sometimes still. Um, Oh, yeah. Anyway, so you find out you're pregnant and you're excited and uh, the baby's born when? Okay, so we. We have this perfect pregnancy. Everything's great. Um, Like, I, I made it through Prisoner of Azkaban. While she was pregnant, like I'm reading to this thing, this kid every night, and I'm singing it to songs that my grandma sang to me when I was a baby, mm-hmm. and I'm reading it the Bible, like me and this, me and this child, like we're gonna be big thugging homies, like from the from the jump. All right, yeah. we're gonna be yeah. we're gonna be besties from the from the jump, and uh, so fast forward through the pregnancy, like we're both we both are huge because we decided like the world shut down and. <laughs> Like we can literally order anything we want yeah. and have it delivered to our house. Yeah. So we're just mm-hmm. going to have a good time. And she's feeding for two. So right, she's got right, to. Yeah. Right. And we're both working from home. <laughs> right. You know, so we're yeah. just chilling every day. Um, yeah. We had a good time, man. I don't know how many supersonic double cheeseburgers. It was significant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, the Wednesday before uh, we're going in, she has her last appointment and our doctor tells her like, this is like, everything's fine. This is a perfect pregnancy. You know, um, they, they couldn't do it. I want to do it on Friday. Cause you know, it's not like I'm impatient or anything, but, uh, I was ready for this dude to be out. Yeah. And, um, the doctor couldn't do it on Friday. So they pushed it to the following Monday. So the plan was we were going to do, we were going to go in Sunday night, get everything kind of set up Monday morning, deliver and scheduled induction. So this is a December baby. Yeah. Um, no, he's uh, November, November. Okay. Well, you found out in March. So I was right as well. So if he was born, if he was born November 15th, subtract from there. So yeah. Okay. February, March. But still she had to be pregnant for a little while for it to show up on a For sure. For sure. I'm just trying to figure out the timeline. Yeah. 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 So uh, excuse me, you're going to have to probably go back and do some creative math to figure out how everything. (laughs) But it's, it's, I'm horseshoes and hand grenades. So, so, uh, yeah, we, um, we had a perfect pregnancy and we go in and, uh, we go to, to Fuzzy's Tacos, which was our haunt from the old neighborhood before we moved out on the, onto the West side of town out by, uh, Western Hills golf course. And, um, you know, we're just kind of deeing around having a good time and we decide we're going to go in early. Uh, we show up to the hospital and they had a bed upstairs ready to get us checked in, which was super fortunate. Um, we go upstairs, they hook her up to all the monitors and immediately there's a problem. And like, you know, I'm joking around. I brought my laptop so that I could knock out quotes. Like that's where my mind was like, and, and, and I don't say this, you know, I had started making my career, my God and making money, my God, like through this time period, like I'm really excelling in my career and I'm out of sports and out of athletics and I'm doing really good. 
and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excelling in the business world. So, you know, and when I started to, when Taylor got pregnant, like it put a different grasp on life. Like all of a sudden I wanted to be this massive provider, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to give my son, you know, the life that I had and like, that was going to take some work. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I, and really what I did was I took the power back from God. Mm-hmm. Right. You made I, it an idol. I made it. I, well, and, and it was me. Mm-hmm. I was going to be the one to do it. Mm-hmm. I was going to be the one to provide mm-hmm. this wife, not God who, give, not God who provides us with everything. Right. You know, every good thing comes from God, but it was going to be me. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's immediately, there's immediately problems in the NICU. Um, they, 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 uh, they rush her down. They do a emergency C-section. Uh, our son's dead. He's dead. Like he's blue, not breathing. Like brown from lack of oxygen. Oh. Not breathing, no heartbeat. Wow. Stillborn. Oh my. So right. this happened that like everything was good up until that day? Correct. Whoa. Well, sometime between Wednesday and Sunday, the placenta had gone bad and he'd lost oxygen. Mm, and there was no way for her to know, huh? No way. Well, what do you, the old, the old wives tale, like, oh, they go quiet before when they're getting ready to, when they're getting ready to come out. Right. Everybody's heard that. Mm -hmm. No. So we're thinking this dude is just chilling. Like he's moved down and he's getting ready to come out. Right. No, he's not moving because he doesn't have any oxygen. And you know, we're not around my family. We're not around anybody. You know, there's nobody at the hospital. We're by ourselves at the hospital. It's COVID. Right. There can't, nobody can come in. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you would never expect that. Either. No, like, never, never, never. Um, so I stay with my wife after they deliver, they hold up this huge nine and a half pound monster, beautiful baby, but he's, he's brown. His skin is all really dark brown, like reddish brown. And, uh, I stay with my wife cause she's having, she's going to have a heart attack. Mm. Like she's like over 200 heart rate and like, they're trying to give her like anxiety drugs and everything just to calm her down because you know, this is her world that they just took out of her mm. and sure. there's a problem. Yeah. So the a nurse comes around the curtain, grabs me. She says, you need to come with me now. I walk around the corner and this young doctor from Nepal has my son in his hand and he's doing this. And I'm thinking like shaking baby, like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm physically about to kill this man. Right. Right. And, uh, the nurse is like, your son doesn't have a pulse and he's not breathing. And that's how they give newborn CBR. Right. Okay. Cause they can't, cause they'll crack yeah. their, they'll crack their, yeah. they'll, they'll break chest. their chest. Right. Yeah. Um, and like, I talk about like being in the dumps and like my soul being crushed, dude, <laughs> nothing that I've ever been through holds a candle mm. to the feeling that I had. Like, mm. I can't imagine. That was the worst, the single worst experience of my life. And like, bro, I've lived some life. Yeah. Like I've put some <laughs> hard miles on this mortal coil. Yep. And uh like this old John has seen some some hard miles. Yeah. All of that combined doesn't hold a candle to this. Right. This is the this is the, you know, and like I talked about before, like I wanted to be a dad. Yeah. You know, I wanted God to put a good woman in my life. Yeah. You know, I wanted to have a I wanted to have a family and I wanted to be you know, a good, a good dad. Yeah. And now I'm not going to get the opportunity. But the good news is right. So I get down on my hands and knees, which when I'm in my foxholes, you'll see that that's a common practice for me. Um, I get down on my hands and knees and I'm begging God, 
please, I will literally do anything. I will devote my entire life to you and serving your purpose. I will, I will do anything. Just don't let me go home with an empty I'm car seat. I'm about to cry. <laughs> don't let me go home with an empty car seat. No, don't, don't make me go back and tell my wife that he didn't make it. Like I've been reading and putting headphones on my wife's stomach and singing and reading the Bible and reading Harry Potter to this dude for nine months. And he doesn't have a name yet because the whole plan was, was my wife didn't want me to name my son, John. And I told her like, we're not going to name him yet. I'm going to hold him for the first time. God's going to give me the name. I'm going to name him John and blame it on this. <laughs> and, because John is who, who Jesus loved, yes, right? He yes, was his beloved. Yes. So it has to be John. Yes. Has to be John. And my this wife is did. a roller coaster. And I don't like it. I need to get to the, I need to get to some good here. Yeah. So you're praying to God praying, that you're going to, that, that, that right, you're going to, right. And, and they're and, working, they're working on a man. It kay. took, it took several minutes, man, like 12 minutes. He was <sighs> gone. Um, and I'm, how long would you, did they, have they, how long was he gone before he came out or was it when he came out that he, he was already dead when he came out. That's, so that's what I'm wondering. Did, did, do they have any idea of knowing how long he didn't, he couldn't, he wasn't breathing he before lost, he lost 60% of his brain and the brain is the last thing that oxygen takes. <clears throat> so he, so the fact that he even they revived him. They brought him back to life is a miracle. Yeah, bro. The, the, the pain. So you know what lactic acid is like when you yeah. overlift and you get yeah, really knots in your, his yeah. whole body was so full of lactic acid. It almost killed him. So uh, imagine the excruciating pain that he was going through in the womb without oxygen. Imagine drowning for three days. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Right. What? Right. The hell. Um, so does he start crying? Like, no. when do you know? No. When do you know that he's like, they, "Hey, we got a pulse. He's breathing." Like, what does that look like? It looks like the nurse is about to do a backflip and said, "Okay, he's we got him. He's got a pulse." And then there, he's onto a table, and, and they're, they're rushing, rushing him, him out into the NICU. Yeah, yeah. And they're rushing him into the NICU, and I have got to figure out something to tell my wife because she doesn't know what's going on, and she's about to have. A so none of this is still happening in the actual birthing room. No, we're in the birthing room, but my wife she, is behind a huge curtain getting pumped full of drugs. drugs. Trying to calm her down. She's, well, she was drugged up from the C-section, too, oh, so yeah. that it yeah. makes you. But, she, but Yeah, but even during a C-section, you're not feeling anything physically, but you're hearing and you're cognizant of, oh, yeah. of what's mm -hmm. going on in the room, right. and they're probably hearing all the speech and what's going on, and she didn't there know. was chaos in there. She right. had no idea. She did not know what was going on. In all of that chaos, she didn't know what was going on. No. Wow. No. Oh, honey, remind me to ask you when I get in the room. <laughs> what do you remember about that? We have so many things to talk to her about. Yeah. Okay. So um, I guess, again, just to be sensitive of time, you said you had until three. No, nah, let's rock, dude. This is more important. Um, if, if I'm not. Uh, a, yeah, no, I mean, I've got, a, I've got a little bit of time before I have to go pick up my daughter, but I definitely, and so I don't want to rush this. Um, uh, listen, I mean, to fast forward, basically God worked another miracle. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Like I literally watched my son be raised from the dead like Lazarus. Like he like re, like like a physical, literal, biblical miracle happened in front of my eyes when he brought when he brought my son back to life. The reality of this though is is that there he's got some massive oh massive issues. No, yeah. they they tell us he's never gonna Is he walk. down is it is he a Down syndrome no, child? No, no. Okay. No. So they basically tell us like the major areas of the brain that were infected, that were, that were affected from the, the trauma. Okay. So let's just, I'm just going to stay in it and run through it. Yeah. Go so for it. we, uh, 
Um, they rush him into the NICU and I, uh, I tell my wife like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going with him. They're going to, cause they got to go patch her up, man. Tuck her organs back in and yep. all the yep. stuff that they yep. have to do. Yep. Um, so I, I say, I'm going with him and she's like, okay. So I go with him and they're in there and they're working on him and he keeps going in and out and they're mm. trying to get lines in and he's so small and he's so dehydrated and you know, he's the lack of oxygen and everything else and the hit that he took, um, you know, everything's messed up. Everything, his heart, his kidneys, his liver, everything, his lungs. Um, he's got a hole in his heart and he's got a lung, pr- I mean, all this crazy stuff. And there are 10 doctors in this eight by eight room with more machines than you can count. And I'm standing outside and, uh, and, and Ronnie, I'm just going to be honest with you, man. Um, go for it. The thought crossed my mind to take a drink. I bet. I, uh, and I hate, I hate it, man. I'll, I, I, I always look back at that feeling with guilt. Cause I, I can remember thinking like I could, but you didn't within 20 minutes I could be at a bar and I could forget I could drink until I forgot that any of this ever happened. Why do you regret that or feel guilt for that when you were able to be strong enough to not with, you know, take in the temptation? I didn't have to fall to the temptation. I had to be, I had to, I had to be a dad. I had to be strong for my kid and strong for my wife. Yeah. Like I didn't have the opportunity. Well, and, and what happened next was kind of a miracle. So, um, he's in this room and I'm falling apart and I've got this little nurse with me and she's dying and I'm talking to her and I'm pleading with her and begging with her. Like, you know, and finally I look at her and I'm just like, what am I supposed to tell my wife? Mm. What am I, what am I going to tell her? How am I going to tell her that we're going home alone? Like, how am I going to tell my wife that? How am I going to tell her that we're going home with an empty car seat? How do you tell your wife that? And this girl is just falling apart with me the nurse know, yeah just falling apart she's like john i don't know and uh i had my moment of doubt man i did i really did i had my moment of doubt and one of the rns came around the corner and came out of the room and she's like what's his name she's like we we have to order medicine we have to get this stuff done what's his name and i go john and she said no not your name what is his name and i'm like oh dude if i name him john and he makes it. My wife's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's going to kill me. And uh, I just uh, it's Cooper, which it, I think had been on our top 20 list or something like that. I don't okay. know. But, but that was what I got. That's, you know, got, that's what came you know, to you. That's what came yep. to me yep. was Cooper. So uh, crazy how you had to come up with that under a sense of urgency <sighs> rather than just having the time to like, Hey, well, I want to be able to sit with my wife and talk about it together. And she right, right, said that you're right. going to name him, but still it was like, we need the name so we can get the medicine. Right. Right. And it was, it was Cooper Cooper. Okay. So it's Cooper. great name. It's Cooper. Great name, man. Great, great name. Great tires, great trucks. <laughs> and it rolls off the pallet. Cooper Cantrell. Cooper yeah. Lee Cantrell. Yeah, that's right. Lee is the middle name. Yep. Cooper Lee. Love it. Okay, so he, they get the medicine. Right, so they're they're taking care of him, man, and they're working frantically, and I'm dying, and this nurse is dying, and she takes me over to the parents' place in the NICU, and she's like, if you want to pray and be alone for a few minutes, like, you can do it here, and there's, like, water, and there's a bathroom here, and there's stuff to eat. Like, I'm going to drink or eat anything like I'm dying. Sure. Um, so I go in there, man, and I'm talking to God, and I'm just, you know, pleading with him, pleading and pleading and pleading, and... uh 
like something tells me to look at the walls, man. And just, just like look around me. And I start looking around and I see all these little, like, like three by four post-it notes, not post-it notes, but like little cardboard, like little, just little notes, like, little four by six. Like index cards? Yeah. Index. That's, that's exactly right. Like index okay. cards. And, uh, I walk over and I start looking at them and they're notes from parents to their kids that are in the NICU. And you start reading them and, you know, you'd, you'd look at one of them and it would say like, oh, you know, you're in such, you know, you're, you're really struggling, but you're fighting and we're all praying for you and your mom and your dad love you so much and we're going to be here for everything, you know, and then you, you look a little bit further down the wall and it's two weeks later and it's, you know, we're so proud of how good you're doing and, and everything else. And then you look a little bit further down the wall and it's, today's your last day in the NICU, we're taking you home. Wow. So that gave you hope. Dude, in that moment, I decided that I didn't care how long that dude was going to be here or what his life was going to look like while he was here, but I was going to be the best damn dad that anybody could ever have. That's so powerful, man. And, uh, I made the decision that we were going to take him home too. Like, we're going to take you home. We're going to take him home. So I went up and I told my wife, uh, exactly what I should have, which was nothing. I told her that he was, you know, he was, he was struggling and he was fighting and that they were working on him. Did you tell her that you named him Cooper? Yes. yes. She was good. She, yeah, was, she was like, she was you're, you're, okay, you cleared that. Yeah. All right. Good. She's like, oh, thank God it wasn't John. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, uh, we, um, you know, we were sitting up there and, and, uh, I'm talking to her and they're like, do you want to go down and see him? And this is like the first opportunity. They finally got him stable. It's been hours since the birth. Um, and we're like, yeah, let's go down. So we go down and when we get down there, they tell us that he, has just stopped having a 45 minute long seizure. And, um, they say that they have to do something fast because it will destroy his brain and what's left. So they, uh, they decide on hypothermia treatment. Okay. So what we have Cooper is a head cooling baby. Right. So when they suffer a hit like that, like the hypoxic ischemic, encephalopathy at birth um uh kind of newer medicine is you you cool their body temperature to preserve their their brain functions and their heart functions and their mm -hmm. organs and everything that had been damaged wow while he was while he was in there so they lowered his body temperature um for 72 hours and uh he was still having seizures mm. during during still having seizures mm. but it was it minimized the amount of damage they could do until they found the right medicine to go in and help his brain and help his heart and help his lungs and help everything else. Yeah. So basically that first week that we were there, we went through the code talk about five times, which is how do you want to say goodbye to your, your child? Mm -hmm. How do you want to say goodbye? What measures do you want us to use, um, to, to resuscitate them when they, when they start to go, mm. you know, if we use CPR, like there's a good chance that we're going to crack his ribs or break his sternum. Do you want us to do that? You know, me and my wife had to have some really hard conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. Really hard conversations. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was hard, man. We, we, they told us we were not going to take our kid home several times. Mm -hmm. And, um, and after we talked to the neurologist and, and some of the other like really high paid doctors, the really smart ones, mm -hmm. um, it was basically, so like in our first month there, uh, like just, just throughout that first month, it was, your son is never going to walk. He's never going to talk. He's going to be completely blind, completely deaf, uh, severe cerebral palsy. Um, 
Like whatever time your son has on this earth is not going to be good for either of you. It's going to be miserable for him. Okay. And we start putting out prayers on Facebook. So we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't be around anybody. You know, we couldn't have our friends there. We couldn't have our family clothes. So I reached out and the only way I knew how, and it was, I put out a post on Facebook and said, I need prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, uh, thousands, mm-hmm. thousands of people. Like it went viral. Mm-hmm. We bet. had people from different countries praying for our kid. You know, I would, t- the doctors would tell us what they needed. Like they needed to happen for Cooper to survive. I would make a post. People would pray. The doctors would come back and tell me that it happened. Like wow. I'm watching, I'm watching miracle, biblical miracles happen in front of my eyes every day. Mm. And I'm on fire. Mm. Right. Mm. And I'm ministering to the nurses and I'm ministering to the doctors and I'm talking about what a miracle this kid is. And, uh, the doctors that are not believers from different areas of the world using the word miracle. Mm. It doesn't exist in their language. Right. Right. So we, uh, we get out of the hospital and we have several stays where we have to go back and, um, Cooper's got a lot of work to do, man. He's got a lot of work to do yeah. and Taylor and I have a lot of work to do. So we end up, um, we end up using TARC, which is a, a program in Topeka, the Topeka community that helps kids under three with, with developmental disorders. Okay. Right. Or physical, physical disorders, developmental disorders, whatever. So he's, uh, you know, at first he, he, he's real late to crawl. Right. And then he can't roll over. And, you know, he's behind in everything he's doing, you know, and his head's not growing because his brain's not growing. Yeah. So he's in the one percentile for, for, for head growth because his, all the gray matter just goes away. It doesn't, it doesn't grow, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, he's lost so much of his brain. Um, mm. But he's just kind of like figuring things out on his own in his own way. And we're going through the steps that they tell us to go through to help our son. And, Um, he starts doing it and he's just, he refuses to quit and he's got an iron will. Uh, he takes after his mom (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, he's, he's doing it, man. And, you know, at, at a year and a half, we, uh, man, I can't remember. I can't remember what day it was, but like we worked on walking for so long, like he started using the walker and I, I made a TikTok account just for him and his TikTok of, of him walking in his walker, like out on the road was, it went viral. Oh, that is so cool. Oh, dude. Cooper's TikTok famous. Uh, so how would people find that? Oh, that's a good question here. I'm going to give you the old TikTok for people who are on the old ticky tack. Right. It is. I think it's at Coop Lee dog 2020 at Coop Lee dog D O G or D A W G at Coop C O O P Lee L E E dog D A W G 20. So not dog, but dog dog, the Coop dog. Okay. So go follow that. That there's where you can see that video. Uh, yeah. So where are we at today with, with Cooper? Um, Man, so we're working on talking in sign language right now. Okay. He's a little butthole that refuses to wear his hearing aids and his glasses. Okay. So we are like we're 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 doing some developmental de- de- delay stuff, but we're going through the the parent tutoring pathways, which is for autistic children. Um, he wasn't diagnosed autistic, which I don't think he is. Man, he's way too personal. Okay. Um, like, dude, this is the happiest kid in the world. Mm-hmm. Is know, this him? That's him. That was early. Yeah, this is. 
February that was in the 24th. Yeah, so that's February 24th. We're st- we're, so you're still at the hospital probably. Yeah, we're at the hospital there. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh. Yeah, and now. Oh, look at the smile. I know. Dude, he's been the <laughs> smilingest, happiest kid you've ever met in your entire life. Well, I saw him after your fight. And with the time that we have left, you know, obviously we're going to, I, I, I want to, you know, wrap up obviously the Cooper talk. And I want to ask about, you know, your guys's uh desire to have another child because obviously there's a lot of work that's going to that's going in to be there for Cooper right. and then you bring another child in it's a lot more work have you guys talked about that or is that something you we're back and forth on it all the time yeah, i think that. i think we've i think we are going to have another one though okay. i mean it 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 really depended on on how much the level of care cooper was going to need mm-hmm. but um Dude, he's kind of killing the game. He's a little gangster. Like, yeah. he really is, man. He's, so he's, that's where he's I was going to go with this next. I, I Obviously, Corey, who I spoke to about in the beginning of this episode about, uh, you know, us being mutual friends and him bringing you here and um, connecting us. And so he invites me to the boxing match. And after you win against the Missouri then heavyweight champion, yep. Yep. which, by the way, was probably one of the best fights of the six fights that I saw. Oh, yeah. We were fight of the night for sure. There was the two really small Mexicans that were throwing, a, I mean, I don't know if they called those lightweights or featherweights or whatever they were. That was a good match. There was a lot of a lot of punches being thrown, but, you know, there's not a lot of power behind those punches, so they're just, you know, it's... Right. But these are heavyweights, mm. heavyweights throwing punches, and it was... It was intense. It was energetic. Of course, there was a lot of your fans there, so you were feeding off of the energy in the crowd, which was badass. Big time. Um, and then you win by a split decision, right? Wasn't it? Unanimous. Split? Or unanimous. That's right. It was the other one that was split decision. This was a unanimous decision, and you're obviously blowing kisses to your mom. You're blowing kisses to your wife, and then you're, like, waving. And I, at the time, Corey had told me about your son, but I'm thinking, based on what I'm hearing about Cooper, he's probably not there. And I'd seen, he pointed out your wife, but I'm not seeing your wife mm-hmm. with your son. She's engaged in the fight, right? So I'm not seeing a kid. Right. I'm certainly not seeing a kid who d- appears to have some physical disorder or whatever. And, right. and then all of a sudden I see that, and just somewhere out of the crowd comes this kid. Mm. And you're, you're like lifting him up. And he's like waving his arms <laughs> in the air like this. Like, look at me, I'm the champion, you know? Oh my God. And, and it was like, that warmed my heart. That was so, so you had to have gone back and watched the video of that. It was just, it's so cool. Um, the other thing that I noticed about that fight, and of course I had been, you know, uh, brought to my attention about your walk in, in, with Christ in, in before you fought, and you're going to have to say his name because I don't remember. Brandon Carmack. Okay. I think he's actually from the Kansas City area, isn't huh? he? Before you fought him, you got down on a knee and called him over and you prayed with him. Yeah, so I pray with every one of my opponents before every fight. Yeah, that was time. really, really, really cool. Are they all receptive or have you ever had someone that... Everybody's been pretty receptive so far. Yeah. Like, I'm different. I'm not the, I'm not the crap talking, you know, I'm better than... Like, I'm, this, is about, this is about God doing something through me. Sure. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, if you've got the balls to get in that ring, like, I respect you. Yeah. Like, I don't care what you do, man. Like, you're, you signed up for some. Yeah, because you're not just getting into the ring of a fight. You're putting yourself through hell to prepare for that fight. Right. And you're getting, like, man, I, people know how I train. Yeah. And people know how I am. And if you, if you're willing to get in the ring with me, like, I, that's saying something. Yeah. So I, you've got my respect because I'm a, I am a, Damon Reed has turned me into a physical monster. What does that prayer sound like when you sit, when you pull them in, regardless of 
how well you know them or what their relationship with God is. Right. So me and you, Ronnie, we're getting ready to step into the ring and we're fighting each other for the title. Bring it. Um, dear Heavenly Father, please watch over Ronnie and I. Uh, help us to put on a good show for the fans. Uh, help us to 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 shine light and, and all glory, all glory onto you. Um, Father, most importantly, we ask that you protect us. You watch over us. Um, you help us to have a good fight, but you, you make sure that we both go home safe and sound to our families. Mm. Thank you so much for all that you do in Jesus Christ's perfect name we pray. Amen. Amen. That is awesome. All right. So it doesn't matter. Winning and losing doesn't matter. Yeah. It's not about, it's not about that. Yeah. You know, it's about, it's about fierce competition, uh, in the, and what I believe is one of the last true, honest gentleman sports. Um, you know, there, there's nothing more pure than the heavyweight championship in boxing. It's just, it's just, a, you know, it's, it, you leave it in the ring, mm-hmm. you know, it's everything you have, it's all the training and work and everything leading up to it. Um, you know, the mental discipline, the physical discipline, mm-hmm. uh, spiritual discipline, everything, it, it all goes in. You know, I spend, I spend the last 48 hours before my fights in, in really heavy prayer with my, my spiritual mentors around me, you know, Jeff Gray, Randy Liseski, um, you know, I, these are the guys that I go to and like what. You'll, you'll see me, man. I'm always a big smiling, gooey mess before my fights. I'm all love and everything else because I'm... Yeah, I noticed that. It's not it's not about winning, Ronnie. Yeah. It's not. Now, uh, don't get me wrong. Like, when I lose my goose egg, like, it's... it's If, you know, I don't know what God's gotten planned. You know, I at any moment in time, he could say, hey, boxing is done. Yeah. And that would be the end of the story. Uh, he could walk me to a to a heavyweight world championship, man. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. If God's got me doing it, man, I'm, I'm going to be doing it all the way. And right now I, I think I can contend, you know, I do. The other thing I was going to add that I saw after that fight, that was really cool. Uh, you know, after you were able to lift your son up and have that moment with him and your wife was you were a little pissed off because you wanted a microphone. You wanted to be able to give a speech. Right. And, um, you weren't able to do that. And, and you were actually kind of pleading like, well, you know, I want a microphone. Right. So then you didn't get one and you just decided that you were going to scream at the top of your lungs <laughs> to give a speech and the place goes quiet mm. um, so that they can hear what he has to say. And the thing that you, you are obviously thankful for everybody showing up, but the thing that you did was give all glory to God and, and make sure that that was heard loud and clear. And when you did that, everybody started cheering and clapping. God which was good. really cool. God is good. Which was really, really cool. Um, we're getting down towards the end of this thing, man. And I just would like for you to uh, use this opportunity to kind of talk about what's next for you. Obviously, you talked about the 501c3, which is really, really cool. And I'm excited. And, and if there's anything that I or we can do to to be uh, to help with any of that, man, let us know. Um you're obviously still training. You're still taking on new fights. You mentioned at the beginning of this uh, interview that you've possibly got a fight with an unknown um, contender in April. Right. So I, uh, I, I think um, we may take a fight in Mexico. Uh, there's a po- there's a potential for another fight in Kansas City. I mean, there's always there's always fights. You know, it's finding the right one uh, with the right, you know, the right person to help the career and, and help the path that we're going down. And, you know, I trust my coach. You know, I trust Damon. He's he has we went five and oh our first year like he's done for me what it takes most 
fighters mm-hmm. years to do. You know, I've been boxing for 18 months. Brandon, Brandon had been boxing for 18 years. Do you, are, are you still considered an amateur or, no, or, or, or it is professional? Yeah. Okay. So what does it, what does that look like? I guess, you know, I mean, you've got to do an amateur thing, I guess, until you get your pro opportunity or how does that work? I don't know anything about that. Right. So you stay amateur until you, most people want to want to do an amateur career so that they can protect their record as a pro. Right. Mm. So you fight as an amateur at the amateur level with headgear and bigger gloves ah, and everything else. Got it. Okay. And when you turn pro, as soon as you, as soon as you accept money for a fight, you're pro. That's how that works. Mm. Right. Got as it. soon as you okay. accept money for a fight, you're a pro. And, uh, like I didn't, I didn't have that amateur background. I haven't been fighting since I was six years old. You know, all these other guys that I'm around have been doing this for decades. Mm-hmm. So how many amateur fights did you have before you took money? 10, 11, something like that. Okay. But most of them were MMA and kickboxing. Okay. And so you've got five professional fights under your belt. Seven. Seven under your belt. And you're seven and oh. Yep, with six knockouts. And so the, which is incredible. Yeah. The knockout, which I guess the only knockout that didn't come was your last fight then. Which is incredible. That dude has the hardest chin of anybody I've ever met. You did. <laughs> like, I put people to sleep when I touch them. When you, I touch them. Yeah, like, you threw some punches. Some that shots. guy, he was a big dude too. Bro, big. But that guy must have a story too. Not to get too- Incredible story. Graphic, but the guy must have been really, really overweight at some time in his life. Because when he got into the ring, there was just a lot of- I want. I don't want to sound disrespectful when I say this, but it was just saggy skin. He looked skin. like he lost a lot of weight. Yeah, he yeah. looked. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. but you you could tell that that was a guy who realized that he was in a spot in his life that he didn't want to be, and mm-hmm. that that he was going to use this sport and this training right. to to bring him and and what eventually was the Missouri heavyweight champion until John took it from him. Right. And he just so, had a forty four second knockout on last Friday. Did he? First round, 44-second knockout. I mean, the guy was a good... I mean, that guy could definitely take a punch. There's no doubt about right. it. He so, could fight. He could throw. For sure. It was a great fight. Um, but when you guys start looking at your future, you know, is there like is there like this stair step, like, okay, well, we need to do this, and then we got to do this to get to this? Right. Or are you just really kind of like following your coach, leaving it up to God, and then you take whatever fight just presents itself? That's kind of what I'm doing. Okay. You know, there is a path, and... Uh, and I, like I said, I trust my coach. I am, I am a lot more eager to jump into, uh, fights that I may not be ready for yet. Okay. So I, I kind of like with my wife, man, I, she's smarter than me. That's why I married her. You know, I, I know that it, she's always, always mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. You hear that, honey? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Than me. Yeah. Um, I trust my coach, man. He's lived it. He's fought four world champions. He's fought for two world championships. He's had over 90 professional fights. I mean, he's number sixth greatest boxer in Kansas history at any weight class. Wow. You know, he fought Herbie Hyde for a world championship. I mean, that's, okay. he's lived it. He's done it. So, you know, uh, he, he's, and he's, and he's, you know, he's 51. He's retired for the most part and he's, he's living his best life. You know, I'm, I'm his job now. That's cool. Right. You know, I, I, this dude, this dude sweats and bleeds and trains with me. Uh, six months ago, I knocked one of his ribs out of place. Like he's 50, 51 years old. He's in the best shape of his life. He's a, <laughs> he's a killer. He'll be a killer at 70. Um, but he's, I mean, yeah. How many 51 year old guys you see walking around with that eight pack? Yeah. Like me and this dude are in there getting it. That's awesome. Getting it. You have a fascinating story. I don't know, Jill, do you have anything else that you wanted to add? Like, no, I just want to know what the tattoo, the mat tattoo means. Ooh. Is that a long is, story oh, or a quick story? I didn't see that. Oh. Well, this is a quick oh. one. So this is, the, this, so is the, this is the newest ink. Put up the other arm so I can so see. Matt, Matt, oh, wait, let me think. Oh, do I know it? Hang 633? On, on. Is that what you're, I'm seeing? Hang on. I do know it. That's hang it. on, hang on. I don't. Go and make disciples. No, that's Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Dang it. Okay, what is it? Seek ye first. 
kingdom, the kingdom of, God. of God. All these things will be added to you. Good stuff. That's a cool. reminder, man. So uh, the next one I'm getting is my mm-hmm. notes. Um, and I've, I've, I've been talking about it. My, my friend, Jen Lorson. So I've got, man, I've got the city really behind me and I've got such great sponsors. I mean, uh, you know, the, the people that I've met through the 2030 club and, and it's a philanthropy organization of mm-hmm. young men in their twenties and thirties that are kind of the business leaders. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've, I've been introduced to, to these guys have shown me how to really become an effective, like helper for my community. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, the sponsors I have with, with, with best trucking and best enterprises and central national bank and Heartland title. So TJ's wife is the one who gave me the tattoos, but, um, she's, she's doing her apprenticeship right now at absolute tattoo with Jake. And, uh, she's incredible. She's just an incredible human being. But my next one is number one. It's my notes to myself. Number one, God first. Number two, just don't drink. Number three, Taylor's always right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll, We'll figure out the rest from there. Wow. Uh, well, buddy, I, I, listen, I am grateful for you making the drive because it was not a short drive for you to come here, to be in studio, to do this. And so for you to, uh, see the importance that I have, um, what am I trying to say here? The, to see the, the uh, what this podcast means to me and, and Jillian and what we're trying to do with it. It's obviously tried to tell some compelling stories, but uh, with the foundation of Christianity and how that, that story in this particular case, how God has inspired you and worked in your life. You know, um, I think you're an inspiration to others and especially those who are maybe going through addiction or uh, other, uh, depression issues, whatever it might be. And so, um, I'm just so grateful that you took the time out of your busy day during your training as a business owner to come and do what is turned out to be nearly a three hour episode. So two hours and 45 minutes. Um, uh-huh. I'm not going to make it worth, you know, completely uh, with, without something in re- in return. Um, Brown Piercy Cattle Company. We're going to get you a gift box. That's going to have uh, four premium thick cut steaks, four of their famous steak burgers, two family size rows, and four pounds of 93% lean ground beef. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Can you have that on your Surely protein, right? All protein. Over, right? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're golden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So make sure that before you leave, we get your address and shipping information, all that, so that we can get that sent to you. But uh, we really appreciate you. And God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this. And, um, and I'm real excited here, hopefully, maybe in the next couple of weeks, talking to Rachel Holthouse. Wow who uh, is a great friend of yours and who I met in in the Expo Center or you know, at Stormont Vale Event Center uh, at the night of your fight. And we're excited to have her on to tell her story as well. So, the Hope Dealer. Amen. The, the Hope Dealer. That's right. That's exactly. Dang it. Now I've already screwed this up. I forgot to get to I got so captivated with the actual conversation that I didn't have it set up. All right. So we're going to wrap this up. Thank you again. Thank you so much. We can find you on John Ironman Contrell, right? Instagram and Facebook. Pretty easy to find. Follow him so that you can learn more about his 501c3 and the Youth Boxing Association that he's going to be starting up in Kansas or in Topeka. For Jillian Gregg, John Cantrell, I'm Ronnie Phillips. That's episode 31 of the Papa Ron Podcast. You've been listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Enjoyed this show? Hit subscribe now and tell your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and other social platforms. To participate on the show, leave a message with your comments or questions by calling or texting 816 558 
816-558-6389. That's 816-558-6389. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Paparan Podcast. Paparan Podcast. Oh.